You're listening to the Oz Movies Podcast, only on the Oz Network. Welcome back, everybody, to the Oz Network as we enter week three and episode four of the Star Wars recap series that the Oz Network is doing because we are so excited to bring you all ten movies in the lead up to episode nine, The Rise of Skywalker. What will that mean? Who knows? We're still a while away, but you can listen to what might be part one of eight episodes on Revenge of the Sith. We're not sure yet. You'll know by the time you're downloading this because you would have seen them pop up on your podcast feed. But we are very excited uh, that we are at this one, the best of the prequels. We've already spent a lot of time defending the prequels, so I'm sure we're probably going to go longer with this one just because we managed to get long episodes out of the ones that everybody hates. It's very exciting, though, because finally, after all this time, we get to see what we've all been waiting for, and that is a man on fire. Colin is extremely happy about this. And he sort of turns into Darth Vader at the end of it, too. My name is Ben, and don't do this. Don't shut me out. Let me help you. Hold me, like you did by the lake on Naboo so long ago when there was nothing but our love. No politics, no plotting, no war. And my name is Colin, and I couldn't have. She was alive. I felt it. No! <laughs> and there we have quoted the best bits of uh, <laughs> of the Sith. Not even true, because this movie has some great <laughs> stuff in it. Uh, I'm very excited. I mean, we keep saying this after <laughs> when we get yeah. into every single one. Let's be honest. We're excited for all of these, except for one of them. Uh, so, yeah, yeah, the last. We're, we're very thrilled to be here. But, I mean, in all seriousness, Revenge of the Sith, it is the best of the prequels. I think even the most adamant prequel haters will admit that. Um, what a movie this is. So incredible. Um, I, I feel you and I are going to glow over this even more so than we did the previous two. And just so much to love about this film. There's, there's very little, I feel, to nitpick at this compared to the other two. And we defended those two. But I, this is maybe one of the ones, if not the most excited I am for any of the Star Wars movies. Because Revenge of the Sith is, uh, is incredible Colin Hilding. It is. Um, and I've always thought this is incredible. I mean, I I don't think I had as strong of a reaction in a positive way to any movie I've ever seen in the theater than when I first saw Revenge of the Sith. Like, <clears throat> I mean, my Star Wars fandom was like, you know, uh, at, at, like at its peak. And nothing about this let me down. Like, it was everything I wanted. And obviously, there's some little loose ends that weren't tied up, you know, that you were hoping for, you know, uh, but uh, Sifo-Dyas aside, <laughs> we get everything that we were hoping for here. And I, it, it almost bothers me to always say, oh, this is the best of the prequels, because, I mean, it's just a great Star Wars movie. And when we get to the other movies, I feel like a lot of the defenses we have, when people just look at it in the context of the prequels, they're like, Oh, okay, well, you know, this is cheesy and this is cheesy. And I feel like when we get to 4, 5, and 6, and this is going to be no knock against 4, 5, and 6, because obviously we love those movies too, we're going to point out the exact same flaws in the original movies. It's just people who grew up as children watching the original movies didn't pick it apart the same way. And being older, when you see the prequels, you pick it apart in a different way. Uh, and I honestly don't think that any of the bad dialogue or cheesy scenes are really much different than, could you tell Luke? Is that who you could tell? Um, <laughs> we're going to get there in a couple weeks too. So like, I, I just, I consider this to be a great Star Wars movie. And uh, 
the things I'm most excited to talk talk about in this entire series, like you said, it's this one because so much happens here, and it's so different for a Star Wars movie. I mean, it, people say like Empire Strikes Back is like the darkest of the Star Wars movie. This blows it away as far as darkness goes. Except George Lucas found a miraculous way to still make this accessible for children, despite the fact that children are the biggest victims of this movie, the younglings. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I can't wait to talk about one of those younglings with a great story I read this week. But um, They really yeah, there's, were there's killed so much by st- a lightsaber. No, they were really killed by Hayden Christensen. Uh, <laughs> I hate you! <laughs> offset. <laughs> but yeah, like this is... You know, The Phantom Menace, Attack of the Clones, I think those movies were so picked apart for good or bad that if you're a fan of them, you've spent years defending them. Revenge of the Sith, people were overall happy with it. And I also feel like because it's a newer movie and, uh, you know, maybe just the last of the series, it's never really sparked as much discussion as the original trilogy has or episodes one and two or now, you know, seven, eight solo Rogue One. This almost feels like it's the least talked about, even though people overall have always been pretty positive about it. So we're going to have lots to talk about here. It's interesting. Lots of great stuff, <laughs> including great deleted scene, which I can't wait to get to, which I'm hoping you've seen, where the... Hayden Christensen imitates R2-D2. Yeah, I was going to say, I've seen that one. I actually, um, too, watched some of the Attack of the Clones ones. Um, and because when you were mentioning about the, the family meeting, and I, when I watched them, I'm like, yeah, okay, I have seen these before. It's just, I remember, obviously watched them on the DVD many years ago. And I love the fact that Padme's sister is played by esteemed Australian actor Claudia Carvan, who was very well known in the early 2000s. She was in um, Secret Life of Us, which had like Joel Edgerton and a lot of well-known Australian <laughs> actors in it. So, uh, again, she's gone on to bigger things overseas, not. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> all her scenes were cut. Well, like She was in Star Wars, but she was just completely cut out from it. <laughs> yeah, you, you bring that up. It's funny because... I remember going back to last week with Attack of the Clones when all these announcements came out about this actor and this actor, and I'm trying to read up, well, who are these people? And they're all Australian actors, and I had no idea who they were. I guess it was sort of... She was sort of known when it came out, Mm. so that was one of the bigger deals. And then I remember reading an interview with her like before Attack of the Clones came out, and she was saying, yeah, you know, I filmed the scene for a couple of scenes for episode two, but I'm honestly not sure they're actually going to make the final cut, because even she was like... They're just really weird scenes, and I don't know if they belong in the movie. So when uh, a, a somewhat esteemed actor uh, who's in the biggest movie in the world says, I doubt this is going to make the cut because the scene's just a little bit unusual. Uh, and Again, we're going to see all of those family members back at the end of this, I guess with the exception of her, too. Yeah, I don't think you see her, really. I, I kind of watched over to see if it was there, but... Um... I'm sure there's an action figure of her out there somewhere. She's probably got her own page on Wikipedia. I mean, yeah. she got to hang out with Natalie Portman. <laughs> I mean, come on. Like, <laughs> she ticked all the boxes. Uh, she met Hayden Christensen. He probably didn't say he hated her. So, you know, <laughs> it's, it's Star Wars prequel bingo for Claudia Carpet. I mean, <laughs> her younglings don't die in this movie. They're True. the only younglings to survive. <laughs> <laughs> um, it, it is interesting, though, with this movie because you talk about how it sort of is the least talked about. And I, yeah, you probably would be right because even sort of in, you know, reading up, watching this and everything, it's kind of when you're trying to find videos and articles on this one, there's there's not that many, but th- there are a few out there that I feel, I think they're just generally prequel bashers who find the bad things about this. And go, oh, it really wasn't as good as you think it was. But th- they're very few and far between because I remember when this came out that everybody was like, oh my God, finally, we've got the Star Wars movie we all wanted for. Like, it's kind of like, it's not crap like the first two. But it's 
it's interesting then when soon as Disney came in, it was only about, what, six years later after this? Seven years later that Disney bought out Lucasfilm. So, it wasn't that mm. long on the grand scheme of things yeah. that it did sort of get forgotten about. Because then everyone's talking about, like, oh, my God, we're going to see this. We're going to see that. Force Awakens comes out. Everyone's talking about that. And then everything since. And I know Noah and I talked a lot about when we first ever did that Force Awakens one during our Survivor Oz days. And we talked about it in The Last Jedi. That the Disney movies really have seemingly forgotten about the prequels. And whether or not they're doing that deliberately or not, who knows? Like, yeah, okay. Not completely. Like, clearly, Rogue One had um, Jimmy Smith in it and Mustafar and other things like that. Obviously, in Darth Maul. Spoiler alert. It's in Solo. Probably shouldn't have said that if you haven't seen it. But still, shit. Look forward to next week's uh, big... Um, cameo there. Um, but like on the grand scheme of things, if you're watching episodes seven and eight, it, there really is limited connections to these prequels. So it's going to be interesting, I think, when we get to Rise of the Skywalkers. I'm reading a lot of rumors and kind of seeing all these things about how they're tying it all in and how that's going to connect with this movie. Because I think it, the thing with this movie when this came out, we all knew what to expect. And that's that level of excitement, I think, that kind of really built into this one. The same level of excitement that's not quite there for Rise of Skywalker because we don't know what to expect, which brings its own type of excitement, don't get me wrong. But with this one, we we knew. We knew everything that was going to happen. It's like, finally, we're going to see him turn into Darth Vader. We're, we're going to see him fight Obi-Wan. We're going to see him kill younglings. Like, this is what we've all wanted to see across this entire trilogy. Um, so, yeah, my, my overall point with that is, is yes, I agree with you, and somehow I turned it into some other point of conversation. Uh, how excited were you when you saw this, Colin? <laughs> oh, I'm so excited. But, like, in all honesty, though, I, I don't think that I said it was kind of at its peak, but I don't think I ever had as much excitement as I did leading into The Phantom, and it's just because of how long it had been. Um, but as far as what we were going to see, I mean, everything I've been waiting for was coming up with this movie, and Lucasfilm... I'm not just to say George Lucas. I mean, George Lucas plays a big part in it, but you know, a lot of other people involved in marketing this movie made every single right decision. The very first thing that the the promotion really starts on this is all Darth Vader. I mean, they could have very easily just held off on revealing Vader, and yet the teaser trailer is showing you the unveiling of Darth Vader, what you see in the first time of the movie. And that alone was all this movie needed. And it's funny, when you go back and look over the marketing campaign for Revenge of the Sith, it's 90% Darth Vader, and yet he plays such a small part in this. And I think that was so smart because that's what people want to see. You know, there isn't as much of a connection to the overall story of, oh, what's going to happen to Padme? You know, because everybody already knew. What's going to happen to Obi-Wan? Everybody already knew. Like you were saying, we all knew what was going to happen in this movie. So... When you're doing prequel series, which had never been done before, how do you actually get the audience excited about how it's going to end when they kind of know? You get them excited about you're going to see this for the first time. And they did a very similar thing with Rogue One. I mean, there was so much talk about we're going to see Darth Vader again and that nostalgia. When you look at The Force Awakens, same thing. We saw very little promotion with that story. So much of it was the Millennium Falcon and that one moment in the teaser trailer where it's like, Chewie, we're home. They knew... If you want to get to the Star Wars fans, show them something that they've been waiting to see again, not something they've been waiting to see their entire lives, because you're always going to be let down. (laughs) Oh, I've always wanted to see Anakin as a child. (laughs) Not many people were saying that, and if they were, you're going to find some way to criticize it. But if you're just going to say you're going to see Darth Vader again, everybody's going to get excited about it. And 
this is you know a little bit off topic, but uh, the TV show The Apprentice. I was a huge fan of that back in the day, and they did a Revenge of the Sith episode, which uh, I, I think it aired after Revenge of the Sith came out, but they had filmed it beforehand, and uh, they had to put together like uh, a store display for Revenge of the Sith stuff for merchandise and everything, and. The two teams, one team had somebody who knew everything about Star Wars, and the other team had somebody who really knew nothing about Star Wars. And they just showed them, these are all the characters you have to choose from. You got to make up your, you know, your, your, your posters, your boards, your display, uh, what you want to profile, what you want to show here. And the ones who knew nothing about Star Wars were picking characters who have like five seconds in the movie and have a cool look. Claudia and Palmer. then the team who knew. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> 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 I uh, loved her in the scene. <laughs> <laughs> but the 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 team, the guy who actually knew everything about Star Wars, he just sat there and explained the story of the entire saga to everybody. And then he's like, "All we need to do is just show Darth Vader." <laughs> Here's you have somebody who's just in business, who's a Star Wars fan, and even they knew you want to get people into the movie. Just show them Darth Vader, and they easily won that task. And I think all the criticism was, "Why are you showing these characters? Nobody knows who these people are." Well, they looked interesting. It's like, yeah, but this is Darth Vader, <laughs> and yet Darth Vader is like such a small part of this movie. But like that—that's everything you need to get people excited. And I don't think that you could have had the same success with this movie if you didn't even just show Darth Vader in those trailers leading up to it. And that's how Donald Trump became president. By the way, they yeah. made him <laughs> Darth Vader. Um. Yeah, and I, yeah, I agree with everything, and I think kind of some would argue the anticipation over uh, Force Awakens was maybe a little bit higher because it was kind of like, hey, we're going to get to see Han Solo, we're going to see Leia, we're going to see Luke again, you know, we're going to kind of see this continuation, and I can definitely see that. Like, I, I was very excited. We all were very excited. Any Star Wars fan was excited over those, but I don't know. There was just something about this level of this one of how excited I was to see it based purely on everything I knew I was going to see, and... I sort of, I think I talked about it in the lead up to Attack of the Clones that maybe, maybe it was just a Hobart thing. Maybe it wasn't necessarily a thing in Australia as well, but I felt that there wasn't again that high level of anticipation as much as there was for Phantom Menace. There was definitely more than Attack of the Clones. Uh, I think, cause I think I talked about that saying how like I don't remember a whole lot of hype in Australia around Attack of the Clones compared to what it was for Phantom Menace. But I, I definitely remember there being hype for this one, but again, similar sort of level. It was just kind of like, cool, the new Star Wars movie is coming out and, you know, this is what's going to happen. Um, because I also think too that sort of 1999 really like we, we hadn't really entered that phase where everything was a sequel and a big franchise movie kind mm-hmm. of at that point. Like, you know, between Phantom Menace and Attack of the Clones, you mentioned it, we had obviously Harry Potter and Lord of the Rings became a thing, then Spider-Man became a thing, and then superhero movies really started to take over the box office in the early 2000s. And then 2005, you know, that was Batman Begins year, wasn't it? We kind of had that year, and then sort of other things were happening in the box office movies. So Star Wars wasn't exactly on its own on a pedestal like it was maybe in 1999. Mm-hmm. So I think kind of yeah. maybe as an Australian audience, that's kind of where it was slightly different. But I definitely remember there being hype. Um, I remember taking the day of school to go and see this movie <laughs> uh, with my friend. Um, and I again, I saw it twice. Uh, I think the second time I might have seen it by myself or with my dad. I can't remember. But yeah, instantly loving this movie, uh, just walking out of it going, wow, that was like epic. And I think kind of the ending of this movie too, because yeah, we've been spoiled for choice now that we've had Rogue One, uh, we've had Solo, which maybe doesn't do as much into the um, original trilogy as Rogue One does. But 
for most of us, and particularly for people of our age, this was the end and the starting positions into A New Hope. Like, we couldn't anticipate that between the end of this movie and the beginning of A New Hope, we were going to get another two films in between there. There was talk of a TV series, I believe, around this point that was going to tie in Mm -hmm. a few things around here. But, you know, yeah, nowadays it's like, oh, Rogue One is literally, it ends, boom, let's watch A New Hope. But at the end of this, in 2005, that was it. That was like, holy crap, I need to go watch A New Hope right now because, look, they're on the Star Destroyer and there's Baru and and Owen and they're going to age really badly in, like, 20 years. But who cares because there they are staring at the sun and, you know, oh, we're going to see Alderaan before and billions of people die in five seconds. Um, um, so just so much excitement came out of just the way this ended and everything. So, um, oh, yeah. oh God, like this, I just want it to be was... 2005 again. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's the thing is that for so many people, they thought this was the end. And I think that if, if you need any other better example of how popular Star Wars is, it didn't matter whatever criticisms episode one and two had. You know, you'll have movies that have success because people just want to see how the story ends, but the box office will diminish. And you look at some franchises like the Divergent series, right? You know, they had huge numbers for the first movie, diminished for the second. The third so diminished, they said, let's cancel the fourth movie and not even give people the ending. You get something like Harry Potter, right? Harry Potter is very similar to Star Wars in in the, the type of fandom that it has. But when you go from the first Harry Potter movie to the last Harry Potter movie, every time a Harry Potter movie came out, it was just, oh, it's the new Harry Potter movie. When the series ended, the excitement was, this is the last you're going to get to see. It's not even so much, this is how it's going to end. It's like, this is your last chance to see it. And that's the other thing that George Lucas knew. Obviously, he always had the ideas for 7, 8, and 9. I I actually read um, an interesting interview that George Lucas had done back in 1983 when Return of the Jedi came out, where he was talking not only about what the prequels would be, but what 7, 8, and 9 would potentially be. And some of the things, you know, obviously haven't happened because they went off in a different uh, direction. But he had that idea in his head, but he had made the decision, 7, 8, and is not going to happen. So for him, episode 3 was the end. And by the time this movie came out, it was already announced they're going to be doing a Clone Wars animated series. There's going to be a live action TV series, but he still treated this as the end of Star Wars and all the way down to just how not just how the movie ends, but the, the music in the end credits. It's playing the greatest hits of the entire series. It's not just the these are the you know pieces of music throughout this movie. It's playing Princess Leia's theme for no reason other than this is a theme people are familiar with. You know, we have a lot of the Imperial March and and the throne room scene from A New Hope. Music that has no relevance to Revenge of the Sith. But it was like he said, even for the music, we want to have one grand finale where this is like playing the hits. So George Lucas never intended for this to continue. And really, 7, 8, 9 only started getting developed so he would have something to sell his company with which ultimately all went to charity, which uh, even more so, you know, you got to give him credit for. The guy basically said, I'll continue Star Wars so so charities can have more money. <laughs> uh, but it was never in his plans to do anything p- past this. And I think that was part of the excitement is that going into this, you knew this is the end. And we, we don't get that with any other series anymore. That's what you're saying is so different. It's not so sequel and franchise heavy now. You know, the Avengers ends, and I have to wonder myself, if we honestly knew that there would be no Avengers past this, would Endgame have had that much more of an impact? Would it have made you know even another billion dollars on top of that? The Harry Potter series ended, and it was pretty much a given. Well, they're going to do something after that, because that's what they do. You know, the Lord of the Rings series, I think, was the only other one that really had, like, okay, this is definitely going to be the end, and then we find a way to bring it back. 
But we don't. Well, I don't think we'll ever have that again. Revenge of the Sith may be the last of its kind, the last time that a franchise could simply be done. And I keep thinking about all these franchises out now and thinking, oh, I wonder what it's going to be like to complete this trilogy. And I'm thinking to myself, there's no such thing as a trilogy anymore. There, there's just the next spinoff and the next prequel series and the next sequel series and this and this and that and then let's put idris elba against the rock and jason statham to just get more life out of a franchise that should just die um yes yeah, please it's, it's, die it's, that franchise <laughs> like, just die oh my god you know it's Sorry. so it's so funny <laughs> complete side note here but i've always said i've seen most of the fast and furious movies and the only one i ever enjoyed was the first one and i haven't seen it for years and jamie and i were watching the first fast and furious last night she was what would you give this movie out of 10 i'm like i don't know at the time i thought it was a solid eight eight and a half <laughs> and we're halfway through the movie i'm like i think this is like a six and a half jamie <laughs> like this is not hold up i think the uh, trailer but- for hobbs and shaw gave me a disease like i was like holy crap yeah. What is this? Well, you contracted Hobbs and Shaw. I did. I literally got a disease watching that trailer. Like, I think I had to go to the hospital. I'm like, no, sorry, I'm sick. But but really, it's just strange to think about that. I, I don't even remember what I was thinking about today. It was some other movie. And I was thinking to myself, oh, man, what will the end of this trilogy be like? And then I'm, I remember thinking there was no such thing as the end of a trilogy. And even though we didn't get the end with this... It was the last time, I think, for all eternity that there will ever be a moment where people think this massive thing that we've all grown up on is coming to an end. It, it really is. Like, it's we are spoiled for choice in the way we consume movies now. And TV shows, we should lump that in. Obviously, something like Game of Thrones ended this year and kind of it had a big deal, but aren't they making, like, a prequel series of it or something like that? Like, there's yeah. always something that people can milk something out of it. To, to quote... The great esteemed Purple Kelly Shin, you know, we can milk our own milk or something. And that's clearly <laughs> what all the movie shit is. Because it, it is it is legitimately true. Because no matter what a franchise is or how it ends or any sort of status it has in the grand scheme of movies or entertainment, there's somehow that a, a studio out there, usually owned by Disney or will be bought by Disney in the coming future, will find a way to do something new with it. And... That has its positives and its negatives. Of course it does. But this like, this is where we're trying to get people. Go back to the year 2005 when you remember this because that's the level of excitement that was around this yeah. at that time. And it, it, it's intriguing when I was working at a newspaper in Hobart when Force Awakens came out. So I did a couple of stories about sort of the excitement. This is all the Star Wars fans. They're so excited for this. And just kind of, you know, talking to these fans, because that's what that, and we'll talk about that when it comes to Force Awakens, it really was a, a separate level of excitement, because it was like, hey, we haven't had a movie in 12 years, or 10 years, sorry, um, you know, and we, we didn't think we we're ever going to have this again, so this is great. And But a lot of people at that time didn't necessarily talk about it, first movie in 10 years, it was more of a case of, this is the first time in what, like 22 years that we're finally going to see what happens mm-hmm. to like everyone. It's kind of like, ah, like, oh, fuck the prequels, you know what I mean? So it's kind of, it was a different level of excitement, but... Yeah, I think that you'll never get this again. I agree with everything you said, that um, kind of that hype around Revenge of the Sith. Uh, how many times did you see this one? Was this Did oh. you see this more times than Phantom Menace? I don't know. <clears throat> no. I, well, with each of these movies, it was a little bit less, which had more to do with the fact that by the time Revenge of the Sith came out, I had a job. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I had I important things. I had a job. <laughs> I, I didn't live across the street from the the cheap movie theater where I could go for a dollar fifty in an afternoon. Um, on top of that, I was working a job where I think my shifts were my best shift would be 
5 p.m. until 1.30 in the morning. Uh, so <laughs> the opportunities to see this movie, even on opening day, I couldn't do anything like go to a midnight show. Uh, I think, I, I, again, like I had with the the previous movie, I, I went with my brother and my mom and um, we got like a 12.30 p.m. showing. and It was basically the movie's over. I got to hop on a bus and go to work and stay up to like 1.30 in the morning. Uh, but even still, like, it's crazy to think I saw this 13 times in theaters. Wow. And I don't even think we mentioned it with Attack of the Clones, but like with Phantom Menace, when I said I'd seen it like 25 times, you know, a lot of that was I'm living across the street from a cheap theater in the summer. But that movie was playing in theaters for like eight months straight. With Attack of the Clones, it was out on DVD four months later. And it was the same thing with Revenge of the Sith. Um, I did get lucky though that that that, that same cheap movie theater was like a dollar fifty to go see it. Uh, it relocated basically about ten minutes from my work, so I was able to go <laughs> uh, quite a few times for Revenge of the Sith as well. Um, but you know, when you add up like everything on DVD after that, I mean, I, still this is the least I've. I think that's the other thing that I find really weird is that with the Star Wars movies, it's not like you could just sit down and watch a Star Wars movie. You kind of watch them all as a whole. So I still know this movie by heart. But I don't think I'll ever know it as well as I do Phantom Menace and Attack of the Clones because I don't just sit down to watch Revenge of the Sith. I watch all of them in, in sequence. Mm. So this will always sort of be, at least for those original six movies, the one that I know the least yet still know it by heart. <laughs> it's, you mentioned the DVD thing. Actually, that's a good point because we talked about the video release of Phantom Menace. But because what DVDs 2000, 2001, sort of when sort of they became a thing. Um, but they held off on the Star Wars movies for a while, didn't they? And when Phantom Menace came out, that was a pretty big deal. Uh, I remember getting yeah. all hyped up when Phantom Menace got released on DVD, you know, kind of DVDs were released differently back then, <laughs> um, getting it for Christmas and everything. And then, yeah, because Attack of the Clones came out pretty not long after the actual movie, right? And then, yeah, it was like four months. And then obviously with this one, because, and then how many years after. 2005, because it took he took his sweet ass time, didn't he, Lucas, to release the original trilogy on DVD? It's like late 2000s. Uh, no, actually, well, I think it was maybe only a, a year. Well, after the like the Phantom Menace's DVD release was two years after it came out. I think it was sometime in like the fall of 2001. Um, and then, if I remember right, I think it was maybe 2006 when the the original trilogy came out on DVD. So, right. yeah, they waited till the whole series was done, which I think he always said he was going to wait until he could release all these movies as, like, one box set. Which, again, kids kids these days, Colin, don't uh, appreciate uh, when DVDs were released because, you know, that was a cool we, thing that back then. Can like, we also add to that, like, the, the way that nobody remembers history right? Like, we want the original unaltered trilogy. When he released the Star Wars trilogy... On DVD, he released both the special editions mm-hmm. and the original unaltered together that. for the price of one. <laughs> yeah, you had like a, you had a disc. Like the the first disc was the special yeah. edition, the second disc was the old, unaltered original. Yeah, yeah, he's yeah, done. So it it's always been there since they came out. Because <laughs> because I think we mentioned that we'll probably talk about it more when we get to the original trilogies. That um, I always grew up on the unaltered one because Dad had like a really old trilogy box, which we still got, and apparently they're worth quite a bit, like the old VHS trilogy sort of unaltered ones. Um, but like, yeah, we'll get to it. In this, I'm not one of these people who's like, I grew up on the originals with no alterations, yeah. and I hate the new ones. Like, I appreciate the fact that he changed a bunch of things. I love Jedi Rocks, all right? It's great. <laughs> well, no, you've gone too far. <laughs> oh, Ben, we put up with you liking Jar Jar. We put up with you defending the sand. But now you've mentioned Jedi Rocks. I'm not listening Do you know anymore. what else is interesting? Um, you know, we'll, once we get to the original trilogy in a couple of weeks, we'll talk about this more. But 
I've always hated people just saying, oh, you can't alter Star Wars or stuff like that. Yet when you go back to what, like the 1800s, Charles Dickens would rewrite his own books every year or so. And yet how is it different if you do it with Star Wars? I don't know. But uh, you have the original trilogy, which has had changes over the years. You have Phantom Menace, which they have done changes to. They you know, added the, the digital Yoda in there and they added some stuff for the pod race. Attack of the Clones, we mentioned there were some things that were done exclusively for the IMAX release, which are now just part of the movie. Revenge of the Sith is the only Star Wars movie George Lucas ever made that had no alterations after it came out. So you have to wonder, is it, was this just the movie he was happiest with? Or was he like, nah, I don't have any time for that anymore. It's done. It's over with. He's probably like, oh my god, this is so stressful. I'd rather slip my wrist and make a Star Wars movie. I'm selling it to yeah. Disney! <laughs> <laughs> um, is there anything... I feel like I'm missing stuff here. We usually talk about more stuff here, don't we? <laughs> Before well, we get started. I feel like it's too quickly, isn't it? Like 20 minutes? That's, yeah, we I'm... need to talk about it longer. <laughs> the, the funny thing is there wasn't as much... Like, it was all Darth Vader, like we said, for the build-up to this movie. And the... Um, you know, like the first trailer was just that shot of Vader coming up out of the chair. Uh, it is interesting to note on that that the first criticism this movie received was Darth Vader. His hands were – I think they were in the down position. And if you go back and watch the original trailer, when you have that shot of him rising up, his hands are down. And people complained and they said it looks weird for his hands to be in that position. <laughs> and George Lucas said – at the time, there's actually a reason for that. And then later on, he actually decided before the movie came out to alter that. So when you look at the first trailer, Vader's arms are in the down position when he's clasped down into the, the chair. And when the movie comes out, his arms are in the up position. Oh. Um, uh, other stuff, I guess. First uh, world problems much... in 2005. Yeah. Well, that's just, <laughs> it really shows you how the internet, like even George Lucas, he, even George Lucas, more than anybody, George Lucas can escape the criticism of the internet. Um, but. 2005 to now, if somebody made complaints like that now, you're like, oh, that's just some idiots on the internet complaining. <laughs> and back in 2005, it's like, well, this is such a you know, vocal majority complaining about the position of his arms. We better change this, otherwise this movie's going to be a disaster. <laughs> the, innocent, the innocent days when Bush was president, um, you know, no one was complaining about anything. <laughs> the position of Vader's arms, just oh. wrong. Boycott Star Wars. N nowadays, um, you know, there are singers out there claiming they dated Natalie Portman. Uh, that's, you know, <laughs> hashtag me too. And movie producers are getting fired because they shouldn't be doing things that they were doing at the time. But back then... Vader's arms, it was like breaking news. <laughs> Star Wars fans planned um, to boycott Revenge of the Sith until they changed the position of Darth Vader's arms. I think part of the reason we breezed by this so quickly is because like with Phantom Menace, we had so much to talk about. Oh, remember when this came out? Remember when they announced the cast for the first time? You know, Attack of the Clones, all the Australian stuff with this, them filming it digitally. With Revenge of the Sith, I mean, really, we only have a couple of new additions to the cast. Uh, the big one being General Grievous being a new character. I think that was really the only major buildup in between the movies. Um, the Clone Wars animated series, which uh, I don't even think we really talked about last time. But the original Clone Wars animated series, it was actually like a micro series. They were five, six minute long episodes that would play in between shows on the Cartoon Network. And they were done uh, from the guy who did like a show called Samurai Jack. And they were meant to look very like... Um, well, it's traditional animation meant to look very Japanese in style. And um, they did, uh, how many was it? Ten for a first season. Uh, and that was stuff that took place like immediately after Attack of the Clones. And then they did ten more that took place a little bit closer to episode three. 
Uh, and then before Revenge of the Sith came out, they said, we're going to do five longer episodes that are all going to be like 10 minutes each. And that's actually going to be what happens right before the movie starts. Uh, now, at the end of the second series, the final episode was the unveiling of General Grievous. Everybody knew there'd be a new villain named General Grievous and that he was going to be kind of what would bridge the gap you know, tech- technology-wise between – I guess him and Darth Vader, the f- the first real trial of can we turn a, a broken man into a machine? And the that episode was all just a bunch of Jedi's getting surrounded, and then they unveiled General Grievous with all of his lightsabers. I remember seeing that for the first time. The same way that they kind of unveil Boba Fett when we get to Empire Strikes Back in the Star Wars Holiday Special. Like, let's give people a little tease of a new character, and. It, it was really exciting to see that for the first time. And then when they um, started casting it, I don't know if you remember this or not, but Gary Oldman was actually cast as the voice of General Grievous. Do you remember that? No, I don't, but I wish that was true. That was, I mean, I'm saying oh. it's not true. I mean, I wish it had happened. That's what I mean. Yeah. Uh, we'll, I, I guess, learn more about this when we get to episode five. But George Lucas, his reason for making these movies outside of Hollywood is the fact that the the unions, like the Producers Guild and the Directors Guild, basically saw a bunch of money that they could capitalize on and started coming up with ridiculous fines for George Lucas to get some of the Star Wars money. And he resigned from both the Producers Guild, well, all three, Producers Guild, Directors Guild, Writers Guild. And he decided that these movies would be made outside of the unions. So any actor who was in episodes five, six, and then one, two, and three later on, uh, they weren't really part of, they weren't protected by their unions or whatever. Uh, and it was just George Lucas saying, I'm just making an independent movie. Gary Oldman signed on to the movie and then ultimately, for whatever reason, decided he didn't want – he's the only actor in the history of Hollywood to say, I don't want to make this outside of the the guilds, the, the huh. unions. And he dropped out as a result of that. And the guy who ends up getting the role is just one of the sound guys who worked on the Star Wars prequels, Matthew Wood, who sent in an audition tape along with you know thousands of other people, didn't tell them who he was – they listened to this, said, this guy's great. Let's hire him. They're like, well, good news. He's in the next room. <laughs> um, so I think by the time they had, uh, well, obviously by the time they did the third season of the Clone Wars, original Clone Wars animated series, you know, he was part of the movie. And those five longer episodes is the Battle of Coruscant because we really start this movie at the end of that massive battle. And it's about General Grievous kidnapping the Chancellor and Obi-Wan and Anakin coming back and having to mount this rescue mission. And there's a lot of things that you find out later in this movie, like why General Grievous is constantly coughing comes from that animated series. So uh, you, you saw like the the actual animated series, but it would be really cool to go back and watch these. And if we have time at some point, it doesn't even have to be this year, maybe next year or something like that, do the entire Clone War, original Clone Wars animated series, which you add it all up, it's like probably the length of a Star Wars movie because there's so much good stuff in there, especially in that third season, which is all the build up to what starts in this movie. I know when we covered the movie, uh, I said I would like to watch them, uh, and I just I've not gotten around to it, um, and that's a subtle reminder to our listeners that. Uh, we obviously, some people are like, oh, wait, there's a movie in between these two. You didn't cover it. Uh, we did, uh, two yeah. years ago. So I think that was the only one we didn't bin, um, out of all yeah. the, <laughs> the ones that we did. Um, that's the one with little baby Jabba the Hardy, isn't it? That's, uh, yeah. squishy or whatever he's called, slimy or stinky. Stinky. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I knew it was something in there. Um, I, I really want Gary Oldman in Star Wars. Come on. Like, that's, you know. I know. <laughs> him in Star Wars in a James Bond movie. That, like, completes everything. Like, Christopher Lee did it. <laughs> like, you know. <laughs> Just because you got your Oscar now, Gary. Um, 
yeah, I mean, Chewbacca returns in this movie, which people seem to complain about still. <laughs> uh, Everyone just complains about everything. Like, Chewbacca's in this movie. Get excited. Uh, I saw. I actually saw one of the videos I watched, and I, I'm guessing it was made before Solo, because they were complaining about the fact when Yoda leaves Chewbacca. Like, well, how does he end up with Han Solo? It makes no sense. It's like, well, A, there's 19 years that happened between this yeah. and New Hope. Like, <laughs> you think he's just going to sit there twiddling his thumbs? Going, rrr, rrr, and then all of a sudden he ends up in the cantina. Rrr, um, like, you know, stuff happens in 19 years, people. Uh, but and again not everything needs to be explained like there is a slight positive for Disney maybe not making these story movies anymore because you know they they kind of feel the need like oh wait there was this one moment mentioned in one movie that we have to go back and do a whole two hour movie on because fans (laughs) are angry about it Uh, they're going to do the Medichlorin movie coming soon (laughs) like what do we mean by these finally Disney explains what George Lucas didn't um, oh, no, you know, if that ever happens, then that line from Maz in Force Awakens, that's a story for another time. That means we're literally going to get a story for another time. Please, no. <laughs> um, there's actually a really subtle moment in this movie, which I think I knew existed, but I finally picked up on it uh, when I was watching it with Mallory, uh, which I won't say now. I'll probably forget to mention it later, but whatever. There's just it's. I'll say it now. It's when <laughs> Obi-Wan picks up Anakin's lightsaber after he's burning to death. Like, I've never realised that properly before. I'm like, hey, that's how he gets his lightsaber. Like, duh. Uh- <laughs> um, I, and I think I've mentioned this, but George Lucas and the rest of the crew and even cast didn't realise that either because it was very late into post-production. We're like, wait a second. He needs to give Luke the lightsaber later. So they had to go back and get a shot of Obi-Wan in costume again, picking up a lightsaber to explain that moment. They're like, oh, oh can you imagine the disaster if they'd forgotten that? <laughs> yes, exactly. All right. Uh, so we're good? We, 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 we're finished talking about it. Let's go. Let's get into it. All right. This is why this is part one of eight, everybody. Um, <laughs> so once again, we'll read the opening crawl. And this is my favorite one. War! <laughs> yes! No, no, no. You gotta do it louder than that. <laughs> it's gonna be like and an exclamation mark. It's gonna be like in the old school, like you know those movies that they put before movies, like the news update. You know, news of the world. Whoa, the Republic is coming on the attacks of the ruthless Sith Lord Count Dooku. That's where the Clone Wars always started. <laughs> yeah. Wah wah wah! Come on, boys in blue, let's go save the galaxy. Um, so hang on, wah! What is it good for? <laughs> Absolutely nothing. Sing it again now. <laughs> Jackie, kick it. Um, okay, Chris Tucker. Uh, <laughs> okay, Chris Tucker. <laughs> Damn, he ain't gonna be in Rush Hour Three. Uh, <laughs> you know, let's 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 sideline this episode even more. Outside of sand, it's coarse and rough and irritating. It gets everywhere. Is there any movie that has ever been mentioned? Outside of something we're actually covering more than Rush Hour outside of Attack of the Clones? <laughs> Probably not. We need to do them. We have to do those movies. That's one that I think they're making a fourth one now. And it's, it's again, it's just that syndrome of, oh, we don't really need one. They're old now. They're probably not as good. But I mean, Rush Hour 3 was kind of a bit like that when it came out, but I still love it. So, like, oh, yeah. oh, God. Anyway, yes, they're great movies. Watch them. Um, whoa! The Republic is crumbling <laughs> under attacks by the ruthless Sith Lord, Count Dooku. There are heroes on both sides. Evil is everywhere. <laughs> I love, love that. that. Evil is everywhere. Uh, in a stunning move. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, it's not like in a you know a sinister move or in a serious move. It's like oh, in a stunning move. The fiend, the fiendish, <laughs> fiendish 
<laughs> Fiendish droid leader, General Grievous. Is that in capitals? Uh, <laughs> Galactic Empire uh, has swept into the Republic capital and kidnapped Chancellor Palpatine, leader of the Galactic Senate. As the Separatist droid army attempts to flee the besieged capital with their valuable hostage, two Jedi Knights lead a desperate mission to rescue the captive Chancellor. I want to go back to stunning for a second. (laughs) Oh, it's a stunning move. It's never really stood out to me, but now that you mention, like, I just imagine somewhere in episode six of the the Clone Wars animated series, season three, that leads into this, Mos Amata, the the right-hand man to Palpatine the Senate. Ladies and gentlemen of the Senate, I have an announcement to make. The Chancellor has been kidnapped. And you have all these... Oh, stunning! Stunning! <laughs> oh, stunning move. Stunning move. That's... That's gonna... That's why he's a general, everyone. That's it. That's here, right here, there. Stunning! Here, here! That man is a stunning general. Everyone, round of applause. That's why we're gonna win this war, everyone. That is a stunning move. <laughs> Absolutely stunning. Those those lightsabers, the way they spin around, just no one else can work those off. Stunning. Absolutely stunning. Uh, why does nobody even complain about that word being used in the only crawl? Stunning. It's all about the so sand. It's all about the... <laughs> stunning. <laughs> oh, God, it's so stunning. Uh, <laughs> um, see, we should have used that last episode But everyone, a stunning mullet It was stunning <laughs> Stunning I love sand, it's stunning It's coarse and rough and irritating And it gets everywhere, stunningly well What if the end of this movie, it's like, what about Padme? Is she all right? It seems in your anger, you killed her. What? Stunning! Stunning! Instead of yippee, it's stunning! Luke, uh, search your feelings. You know it to be true. No, it's not true. It's not true. No, I am your stunning father. Stunning! Can you tell Luke? Is that who you can be stunningly telling? <laughs> Never tell me the stunning odds. <laughs> <laughs> At the end, when Leia in a Rogue One, Leia gets the plans instead of like, what does this mean? You know, we've got hope. It's like, no, stunning. Stunning. <laughs> All stunning. stunning. <laughs> All right, so... um. This, this we're taking away from what maybe is the most epic of all openings of. Is this the most epic of all the o- openings of all Star Wars movies? Well, I mean, you could never top just the nostalgia of that first shot in A New Hope, but like they really rival it here. Like this is spectacular. This opening shot. I yeah, the way it kind of pans down, we've got all these stunning, ships. <laughs> stunning, <laughs> battling over Coruscant. But like it's just the, the flare of the sun. And then the way you've kind of got, like, because it, it's a good 60-second continuous shot, isn't it, or longer? Sort of the way it pans down. And, like, everybody always likes to rip into the prequels for, for not dating well and sort of looking, you know, built on a computer and have no soul and all this sort of stuff. But this holds up. There's, there's no doubting that this shot holds up. 
and just the way they kind of follow it and the way the music builds into it as well, like, you're straight into this. And, I mean, easily the best of the prequels, of course. I mean, that's, you know, I don't think the prequels openings are that bad. Um, but, and to the way it kind of, they spin and then they go down and then we see all the different ships, Coruscant below, the laser battle, just everything happening here is just incredible. And then even the way it sort of the camera will just, um, basically catch up to one of the ships. And is it, is it Anakin, the first one that we see? Anakin! Um, yeah. <laughs> you're stunning, Anakin. Um, so, <laughs> stunning spin, Anakin. <laughs> Uh, so it's just, it's just incredible. And just all throughout this battle, like there's a, there's a shot of one of the, uh, I think it's a clone ship that gets blown up and you even see sort of a, a body floating out of it too. Sort of like little random things that we haven't seen before. Um, but just so, so incredible. So stunning. Stunning. Um, and, uh, so Obi-Wan and Anakin, uh, trying to get the, uh, the Chancellor. They're basically trying to find Grievous's ship. And throughout this battle, we get little cool little pocket little droid things that land on their ship and are ripping out, uh, cables and everything. Uh, I, I did watch a video, uh, in the, I think it might have been the Everything Wrong with Revenge of the Sith. And they kind of pointed out that this is just a movie of Obi-Wan one-liners, <laughs> which yeah. is kind of true. Uh, what does he say? Like, oh, droids. Flying for droids or something like that. Like, throughout this. Um, but I, I also really do like um, some of these ships that we see. So the, I guess the the bad ships here kind of almost look like early versions of TIE Fighters. Um, obviously, we kind of got ships that kind of look like Star Destroyers, which we saw at the end of Attack of the Clones. Uh, we've got that great sequence where all the ships are coming towards the camera and just blowing up and everything like that. Just the special effects are incredible here. Really, the whole, this whole, what is it, like about 25 minutes from the credits mm-hmm. right and through to when they land on Coruscant. It's just full-on action, and it's amazing. Like, there's nothing here to me which is bad, which, is that a bad, uh, unpopular opinion? I don't know. Who cares? You're listening to the Oz Network. You've got an unpopular choice in podcasts. Um, but I love these little robot things that are, like, ripping the ships together. Poor uh, Obi-Wan's droid, is it R4, gets destroyed. Uh, he loses a wing, and then uh, uh, Anakin has to save him, kind of, with his wing on his... Uh, ship, which is really, really cool as well. Uh, and then they eventually end up crashing into, uh, the ship where Dooku and Grievous and everyone is. I do, I love the way kind of when they crash land, he jumps out and straight away attacks a droid and like chops it in half. So good. Uh, a couple of other one liners. We get a, you know, I've got a bad feeling about this. We've got Anakin saying the whole, um, you know, this is where the fun begins. There's really, is there any bad Anakin moments in this movie? Like in Attack of the Clones? I feel like Hayden Christensen, has has done well in his acting in in the couple of years that it's been since Attack of the Clones. He's getting to play more of what he wanted to play. Like I said, if people have the opportunity, try to find his audition. And all that darkness and attitude that we get here, you know, there's still some inexperience and there's still some pretty clunky dialogue that is hard for anybody to deliver well. But this is sort of the portrayal I think Hayden Christensen always wanted. And for whatever reason, Attack of the Clones, like, I can understand the reason why. When you look at the overall vision, you know, you you can't suspect what Anakin's about to do. And you do have to make these movies for some younger generations who aren't going to be familiar with 4, 5, and 6 and leave some things for surprise. I feel like he was comfortable doing this, and this is sort of why they hired him. They hired him for Attack of the Clones for what he was able to do in Revenge of the Sith. And I think it's great. I think also what's really good about a lot of this opening stuff is, I mean, we talked a lot about the bromance and the chemistry between these two and Attack of the Clones, but it's just on fire here. This is, people Mm -hmm. talk about how obviously the original trilogies are so great because of like the chemistry between all the characters, sort of the back and forth between them all. It's, it's just, it's, um, 
rivaled in a lot of movies of how good it is. And it's kind of what we talked about that in Twister, for example, about what makes that movie so enjoyable is the cast just get along and just the way they bounce off each other. It's really good to see. And I kind of think that that's what we get, particularly in this opening moments here with Obi-Wan and Anakin, just the way they talk off each other. It's just so natural and it's great. And then Mm -hmm. like when they land in the ship and they're, you know, destroying all the droids and just, you know, randomly like that. It's like, what is it? Like I sense a trap Um, and things like that. And they're getting ready to... Battle and everything is great. And another, another little subtle thing, which I think people complained about, but I actually really like, they really seem to make the droid so cartoony in this opening scene. Like you hear, like there's that mm-hmm. people with the droid like falling over, and he's like, <laughs> like he just, he's got that like moan noise, and just I don't know, is it just me that I actually really appreciate that? <laughs> Well, and there's a reason for that, too. We're going to get to Empire Strikes Back. And I think even at a very young age, I was always very aware that, like, Empire is a dark movie. But the first third, maybe even the first half of that movie is funnier than what you get out of Return of the Jedi or A New Hope. They they throw so much comedy in there. And they're doing the same thing here. They know it's going to get really dark later on. So the mood is light, especially with those droids, like you said, like, like you know, the, the oil spilling. I'm like, ah, <laughs> it's like a Three Stooges skit. Uh, but none of it is so cheesy that, that you know, you're just groaning during it. I think they wanted this. Uh, George Lucas said, I think, on the commentary, it was very important for him for the first third of this movie to just be pure fun. He's like, we don't want any darkness here. It's all just let's have a blast. Let's have everybody. Obi-Wan and Anakin, like their whole bromance thing you said. He wanted this to be the last moment where anybody's really enjoying themselves. And the same thing with the audience. (laughs) That's not knocking the movie saying, you're going to hate this movie later on. Uh, But it's going to get really dark later. And to set the tone right for that, you have to really start a lot goofier than you would have normally otherwise. And I think it's important too, because particularly right at the very end, when, you know, Obi-Wan's giving that great speech, it's like, you were my brother, Anakin. Like, if you were to kind of give them the relationship that they had in Attack of the Clones, which, yeah, they've obviously been together for a while and they've learned each other, but you would argue that there's a lot more animosity between the two of them in Attack of the Clones that maybe there's not that relationship. Like, Mm -hmm. yeah, we said there's a bromance between the two, but not to the extent that we see here, because, like, you kind of have that moment when he's like, oh, there's a trap, and what does he say? Like, "Uh, next move, and then the way Obi-Wan's kind of, like, spring the the trap. trap. Just like that, and that look that they share (laughs) with each other, like, that's just, that's confidence you have in a person. Like, that's that's a partnership that you feel, and, like, it's just, and the way they sort of, you know, both Ewan McGregor and uh, Hayden Christensen bounce off each other. It's just so natural. And that's mm-hmm. what I think it, it works really well. And we're going to get that again with um, Anakin and, and Padme. Like, yeah, this is easily Padme's worst movie in terms of the fact she's literally barefoot and pregnant. But, like, still, there is that chemistry between the two of them in the, the scenes that they have. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I, I just think that, like, it's also important on that level because you really... And you do. You feel heartbroken later on in the movie. He's like, you were my brother. You were the chosen one. Um, so it's all... Catherine Hepburn again. <laughs> <laughs> Darling. <laughs> you were stunning as the chosen one. But now, <laughs> not anymore. Um, we meet Grievous for the first time, the, the coughing. And um, I, I'm glad you sort of mentioned they explained that in the Clone Wars. Because I'm just thinking, like, what is this about robots in the Star Wars universe with breathing problems? <laughs> like... <you> know, <laughs> It's like, oh, Darth Vader has, like, asthma, so why not have General Grievous with, like, laryngitis or something like that? Uh, I love Grievous. I, I don't... People seem to hate on Grievous. Oh, yeah. the, the criticism I see for oh. Avengers of the Sith, so many people seem to hate on him. I don't know why. Grievous is an awesome villain. Um, I think all the villains in the prequels are pretty awesome. I mean, I know Dooku doesn't really get a whole lot, but, I mean, it's Christopher Lee. How can you not like him? Um, and Darth Maul you might put in the top five villains of all time. Like, it's just kind of... 
they're great. Underrated, the villains in the prequels. And obviously, that Darth Vader guy. I'm sure he went on to bigger, better yeah. things at the end of Revenge of the Sith. Um, so, we, yeah, we learn that uh, two Jedis... Uh, it's not quite... They've gone up the ventilation shaft. It's just two Jedis have landed. <laughs> uh, I love it when Obi-Wan and that get in the elevator and there's just the droids. And again, it's kind of got a bit of comedic element to it. Just all the droids, hands up! Jedi or whatever it is, and they just like mow them down in two seconds. It's fantastic. Um, and then I love it when they're like going up in the elevator and what does he like jump? What does Obi-Wan say when he's like, he jumps up and it's like, no, don't go up there or something like that. And just Anakin just does it, just jumps up mm-hmm. to the top and he's trying to stop it. And then those, those droids who are like standing over the thing, and then, you know, uh-oh, and they get like, why is it funny? It shouldn't be funny, but <laughs> Uh oh, uh, and I love it when he's like Obi Wan's on the um the the speaker thing, telling R two D two to basically like you know don't do this, you know don't go the other way. And R two D two's like hiding in a corner, <laughs> <laughs> hiding, shoving his microphone in his compartment yeah. to silence it. <laughs> it's just R two over. Go up the other way. Go up the other way. Um. Uh, was, isn't this also where Obi-Wan's like having a little fight with Anakin? He's like, I didn't say anything or something oh, like that. I love that moment. That's so good. Oh, just the little fighting with each other. Uh, meanwhile, R2 is escaping from the droids by laying down an oil slick and burning them. Do, do you get the same joy out of burning droids as you do with burning people? Um, no, it's not, there's not the same level of panic in the droids. Yeah. <laughs> That can be rebuilt again. It's not that skin melting and everything. Um, Owen and Anakin get into uh, the room where um, the Chancellor is handcuffed. Uh, we see Dooku show up and we get the very cheesy one-liner from Obi-Wan, Sith Lord, they're our speciality. Like, oh, I, I do so actually fun. like it, though. Um, this is very Revenge of the uh, Return of the Jedi, isn't it? Sort of with the battle going yeah. on in the window and um, sort of, you know, uh, Palpatine here, handcuffed. It's very similar to Return of the Jedi. But I like this battle. It's sort of only a shortish battle between Obi-Wan, Anakin and Dooku. You know, is it my powers have doubled since the last time we met. Uh, which is, it's, I love how they kind of get straight into this because you ended with Dooku battle and now we're just kind of getting straight into it. Um, poor old Obi-Wan gets crushed by a level thing, which I will admit that special effect isn't fantastic. If you actually watch it, it doesn't really hold up too well on the, the DVD Blu-ray. All eventually leads to uh, Anakin, once again, chopping some limbs off. Uh, there's George Lucas's fetish. There goes two arms this time around. Uh, Anakin with two lightsabers, um, you know, holding Dooku hostage, and then basically uh, the Chancellor, do it! <laughs> I love the way he's like, do it! <laughs> and, he just- and then he cuts off his head, and Chancellor Palps is like, stunning! <laughs> uh, chops off his head, um, and then Anakin has a bit of a, you know, oh, I shouldn't have done that, that's not the Jedi way. It's like, he chopped off your hands, you only wanted revenge. Um, so again, li- little moments here. We know this is a movie where clearly he's ultimately going to turn into Darth, but, uh, still kind of these nice little moments. Um, Obi-Wan escapes with the Chancellor and, well, sorry, Anakin escapes with, uh, Obi-Wan and the Chancellor as the ship is getting, uh, destroyed. Why are the clones and that still firing on this ship when they realize they're a Jedi on this ship and the person <laughs> they need to rescue? Like... Yeah, I'm not too sure why they're doing that. I love the way the ship kind of goes, like, completely vertical 
and then they're like climbing up the escalator, uh, the elevator, sorry, and then it, it levels out, and R two D two is like falling around. Uh, Obi Wan wakes up just as there's a goddamn elevator flying towards them. Um, they all jump and manage to go into a, a door to save themselves. Uh, Grievous puts them in a cool little shield thing. Uh, and this, what does Anakin say? Something like, I've got a plan. And then, like, they get caught, and then everyone's like, well, what's your other plan? What's plan B? Or something like that. Like, this is what I, again, I love. It's kind of like Anakin's sort of grown up. He's, you know, you've grown, Annie. Um, his powers are different. He's a bit more mature, but he still has these lapses of judgment, doesn't he? Where obviously, you know, it's kind of a bit, uh, you know, young, naive. They come face to face with Grievous. And I remember you mentioning to me, I think, in the Clone Wars episode that. Obi-Wan and um, Grievous had had some comings together, so they were kind of familiar with mm-hmm. each other, but we'd never seen Anakin and that together. So this is where he kind of... What does he say? Like, oh, it's good to finally meet you, Grievous, or something like that. So, um, Yeah, I was moment- expecting someone with your reputation to be a little older. <laughs> um, You're so shorter he- than I expected, Grievous. <laughs> <laughs> Aren't you a little short to be a general? <laughs> Oh, the suit! <laughs> I'm General Grievous. I'm here to rescue you. Um, so he, we learn that he likes to collect lightsabers as well. So he has a little uh, thing in his robe filled with lightsabers. They get into a battle with these guards who sort of have a Darth Maul style electric wand thing, which I like them. They're kind of cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love these battle droids, like holding um, the chance almost as human shields. I love the battle droids. I'm sad we don't see them after yeah. this movie again. <laughs> so funny. Um, Grievous eventually escapes by blowing open a window, and somehow gravity doesn't affect the jet. I don't understand this. Is this why Leia was able to float through space like Mary Poppins in a few movies' time? Because when they blow this window open, shouldn't their faces be being like sucked out and everything? Does gravity work different in the Star Wars movies? Uh, well, the, the force. The force. It's all the force. It's all That's the not force. how the force works. Um, so then they basically now have to land a broken and damaged ship on Coruscant. We get a cool sequence of them going through the atmosphere, and we get these fire ships putting the fire out, and as they land on Coruscant, um, great, all great sequence. Like this, all just goes by really quick. This is about twenty-five minutes worth of movie here. Yeah. So this is almost like a quarter of the movie, uh, pretty much all in one sh- uh, sequence here, which is fantastic. I just, I feel like I'm underselling Grievous blowing the window open and sucking himself out. It's kind of a cool sequence that he does, and he kind of Batman grapple hooks onto the ship, and then you know gets away. So. I mean, I I might be underselling all this sort of stuff. All of this is just completely awesome. There's nothing wrong with any of this sequence here that I absolutely love, and it's just it's such an action-packed way to start this movie. It's, it's fantastic. It's 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 stunning, <laughs> stunning. Thank you. <laughs> I'm done. You can talk. Oh, okay. <laughs> if you want to, um, are we going all the way up to the 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 landing? Yes, just up to the landing. Go go okay. to town. Like, there is so much happening here, but like you said, it's 25 minutes of the movie, um, and, and the, the crazy thing is, is that this was over 40 minutes originally. Like, I think it was closer to 45 minutes. Uh, George Lucas said that the problem was they loved everything that they had in this opening sequence here, uh, and so much of it was just extra battle stuff. Like, there's a couple of deleted scenes that are on the DVD that uh, you can see some other little side plots that happen here, but... Uh, so much was just the battle stuff. Like I said, I think he said that the the opening battle itself was like 15 minutes before they even get on Grievous' ship, and it's less than 10 what we eventually see here. Uh, but you you mentioned so many of the little things that happened in the background, like you know, clone being sucked out, um, and even just 
when they have that opening shot, uh, let's add to their how great, like not just sound effects, but music is mm. in setting this. Because you have like this war drum playing. It's like, do, do, do. it almost sounds like, like on those old ships. So they'd have to um, have like the drum so that the, the rowers could keep rhythm. That's what it sounds like here. And then it goes into like the, the, the dun, 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 dun. and yet it, it, it feels different from what we've heard in the other stars. Movie. It feels like more of a war music that's playing. The lens flare, that's how J.J. Abrams got involved in this in the first place. He saw that lens flare, and he's like, wait, I can do that. And then came J.J. <laughs> Abrams' directing career, uh, which led him to Star Wars. But all this opening stuff, like, it's not just the action we're seeing in space. Like you said, the camaraderie between these two. And uh, this is why I'll always defend Hayden Christensen, because, yeah, there is some, you know, pretty average, if not some below average, line delivery he has. But his chemistry is off the charts with everybody he's on screen with. And the way that they have this this back and forth banter, uh, and also the fact that we get, like you mentioned with Anakin, it was a lot more combative between him and Obi-Wan and Attack of the Clones. And here it's fun because they're more peers than they are Master and Apprentice. But you still have that level of like Obi-Wan knows better. And we actually get Anakin against what you would think because you know what's coming up with him. He's making mistakes and admitting it. Like the, the moment where he's trying to ram himself into Obi-Wan's ship and uh, he's like, Anakin, you're going to get us both killed. And he's like, I agree. Bad idea. <laughs> <laughs> and later we're going to get it with, uh, like you said, when they, do you have a plan B? Um, uh, Anakin's making mistakes all over the place, but they just play it off. So, all right, another mistake. Um, the, the way that the, those buzz droids. Like, that's such a great idea. You know, find a way to do something you haven't seen in the Star Wars movie. Uh, it's actually quite intense and almost a little bit scary at the same time because you're seeing these other ships being ripped apart. And I love R2 gets his little battle with it, too. And you actually get the uh, the rebel theme, which um, that's the one that goes, which is supposed to be reserved for the original trilogy because it's the rebel music. The first time we get to hear it is R2 in his first fight ever <laughs> against a buzz droid. Uh, and then the little things they have, like, uh, you know, uh, Obi-Wan kind of getting panicky, like you said, like, flying for droids. Like, you get a different performance out of Ewan McGregor in this movie. And sure, we could say, oh, they have such great chemistry together. These guys are filming their scenes probably on separate days, not even with the other person in the room. I think they'd really just gotten their characters and they, they knew the way that the other person responds. So that you're getting way more of a performance out of acting it opposite nothing than we got in Attack of the Clones. We mentioned with like Ewan McGregor, some of his weaker moments in Attack of the Clones, and there's few of them. They're all in scenes where he's the only living thing on set and he's having to act opposite things. And here you have him just sitting in a cockpit, probably just with like a camera in his face and a bunch of crew around. And the way he does things like flying for droids or when uh, Anakin's like, uh, you know, there's General Grievous' ship, the one uh, directly ahead. And it'll be like, but you notice their shields are still up. Like he's panicking, <laughs> which you would never get out of old Obi-Wan. But I love it. Their shields are still up. <laughs> Sorry, master. <laughs> um, and when they crash on the ship now. I'm gonna defend the I'm gonna defend the sequel movies, the Disney ones, uh, for some of the unfair criticism that they get. Although I think there is some fair criticism, but coming into Rise of Skywalker, that opening shot of the teaser trailer where Ray does that like super flip over the Tie Fighter or whatever, and so many people are criticizing that. We see that when they exit their ships here; it's the exact same move. So I don't know why people are saying, like, oh, that's so stupid, a Jedi can't do that. They did it in this movie, and it's an epic shot. Uh, and I, I love when they they crash land, you know, like the ejection scene and everything, and just 
all the all the droids and and R two. Like, oh yeah, there's so much going on here, and it's it's so fast and intense and and fun. Um, the the R two side mission is some of the funniest stuff in any Star Wars movie. Uh, especially with the little walkie-talkie he has to hide his compartment. Like, that cracks me up every time I see it. You know, Obi-Wan's voice, uh, When they're in the elevator shaft, too, like you briefly mentioned, you know, when Anakin's like, well, there's got to be another way out of here. And he's like, uh, uh, what is Obi-Wan's line he gives him? I'm trying to remember it now. Anakin jumps out. And, oh, yeah, he's like, always on the move. <laughs> like, this... And it actually, if you think about it, that ties in with what we see in both The Phantom Menace and later on, uh, where the whole lesson is always like patience, right? Mm. And Obi-Wan actually made that mistake, because I I mentioned with The Phantom Menace when Obi-Wan, Qui-Gon, and Darth Maul all get separated. If you look at them, they're all doing something different. Darth Maul is pacing back and forth like an animal. Obi-Wan's just sort of bouncing, like hyperactive, like, okay, gotta go, gotta go, gotta go. And Qui-Gon sitting there meditating. And Obi-Wan kind of learns that lesson by this point where it's like Anakin keep, keeps moving around. He's like, oh, he's on the move. And later on, you're going to get that when, with the training with Luke, right? You know, don't rush to do this. So, yeah, they fit little Jedi lessons in just in the fun. Uh, and when the elevator starts going down again, like Obi-Wan and R2's, their combativeness in this movie – Again, it it doesn't have any place later on because they have no interactions. You don't see anything leading into this. You kind of get few moments with Obi-Wan and his discrimination, his racism against droids <laughs> in the first one. Like, well, if droids could think, there'd be none of us here. <laughs> uh, but in this, where even R2 is like, R2, we're meant to be going up. Like, he's being <laughs> such a dick to R2. And R2's trying his hardest. But but I love that, that, that there's this... This character flaw with Obi-Wan, which actually, if you go all the way back to the Phantom Menace, you get it even with his, why do I sense we picked up another pathetic life form? Like, Obi-Wan really discriminates discriminates against a lot of people in this series. Padme's racist, Obi-Wan's droidist. Um, yeah, exactly. Leia's wookiest in A New Hope because he doesn't get a medal, so... And Anakin's <laughs> a child abuser. Exactly. Oh, that came out wrong. <laughs> the only perfect Young person character. is Jar Jar, all right? Jar Jar just does... Wow. He's everyone. And, and Chewie, because he does nothing. So who exactly. can he offend? <laughs> and C-3PO, because he's British. And we know the British have never discriminated <laughs> against anyone. Um, but yeah, like one of my favorite moments of this entire movie, and, and again, perfectly showing the chemistry that Ewan McGregor and Hayden Christensen have, is when he drops back into the elevator. And uh, Anakin's asking him something, and Obi-Wan goes like, well, R2 has been, like, just the way he says it, like, well, R2, and Anakin's like, no loose wire jokes. <laughs> he's actually, like, pointing his finger, no loose wire jokes. It's like, did I say anything? Well, he's trying. It's like, I, I didn't, didn't say anything. anything. <laughs> <laughs> he's so defensive. And, yeah, like, it's it's just, it was the perfect decision to have these guys having fun on this mission because you get this is where they'd be in their careers. I mean, you got to think they're not master and apprentice. They've been at war for three years now, and they're fighting alongside each other as equals. And here you actually kind of get to see them as equals. And Obi-Wan or, or Anakin would never talk back to Obi-Wan the same way in Attack of the Clones. And it's fun that we get that that little extra moment of their relationship here. Uh, the stuff with Dooku, yeah, it's very brief. And I think I the only thing I ever read in a review before this came out was that Dooku was going not going to be long for this movie. Uh, and it kind of spoiled for me that he would be... I think we all figured he'd die pretty early in this movie. Uh, it is very quick. Um, but I, again, I love that they have this 
uh, this antagonistic relationship where, where you get they probably had many other encounters because he says my powers have doubled since the last time we met Count. He's not even saying since Attack of the Clones. And uh, Dooku's response, good, twice the pride, double the fall. <laughs> Christopher Lee can deliver bad lines and, and make it sound cool. Uh, and, and do you love the moment with Palpatine where Anakin's getting the upper hand and Palpatine's going like, yeah! <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I like, like Palpatine, uh, I, I feel I need to, like, he's somebody I always appreciate more and more in this movie. Like, I just, I just, oh. I don't know. Like I, I always stop. have, but like he's just—he's so just his subtle little moments. Like, well, I just—I randomly love the no, no, <laughs> like later on <laughs> things like that. Please don't kill me, please. <laughs> we get so much out of like it's a good point because we've seen the emperor, and the emperor has like this kind of fun over the topness about him in Return of the Jedi, and Palpatine. You, you sort of get those little subtle moments where he'll say things like. Uh, you know, I see you becoming the greatest of all the Jedi. Like, he's having fun with being a subtle villain. But, like, Ian McDermott was a stage actor his entire career. And you can really see him in this movie saying, I'm going to bring a little bit of every type of performance in this. You get comedy. Like, the moment where they're dangling from the elevator shaft, he has this, like, his jaws wide open. It's like, oh! (laughs) Very, like, silent film acting. But you get that even Ian McDermott's having a blast with this movie. And it's the first time he's really gotten to do anything, too. Uh, and I love that. Like, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, Obi-Wan getting crushed a little too early. It doesn't look great anymore. Uh, and also when, I can't remember if it's Anakin or Obi-Wan going up the stairs and cutting down these battle droids. It sort of looks like <laughs> it was thrown together at the last minute. But the whole set here, like you said, is meant to be uh, reminiscent of Return of the Jedi. You got him sitting on a throne in front of this window, the battle in the background. Uh, the lightsaber battle, it's its good for what it is. It's just like a brief moment to start the movie. Uh the facial acting, we, we complimented Natalie Portman's facial acting in Attack of the Clones. Hayden Christensen, that's where his performance shines in this movie, is where he just gets reactions to stuff. Like where he, just the look almost of evil when he's got the lightsabers to Dooku's neck before Palpatine says anything. And then he says, kill him, kill him now. The, the way that he looks conflicted and almost sad, when he eventually does even cut his head, he has this moment where he's sort of like almost choked up like, why did I do that? Like, he's confused. There's so much going on in his performance, and he doesn't have to say anything. It almost sounds like a knock to say Hayden Christensen's best acting is when he's not talking, but it's actually kind of a compliment in the same way that Natalie Portman's best acting was when she wasn't talking. Um, and, and yeah, like Palpatine, you could start to see at, at this point, it's not even subtle anymore. It's like, uh, don't you remember what you told me about your mother and the sand people? Like, he's digging up a painful memory, and then you hear that like, yeah, oh, yeah, 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 I forgot about that, yeah. Uh, but then when he's trying to get him to leave Obi-Wan too, he goes, leave him or we'll never make it. And he goes, his fate will be the same as ours. Like you, you actually get the final heroic moment of Anakin too. And uh, the, the fact that he's defiant, even to the chancellor here, um, general Grievous, I'm 100% behind you. He's one of my favorite all around star Wars villains. Like I love everything about Grievous and I, I don't know what the complaints, I don't think I've read that many complaints about Grievous specifically. Um, I do know that like he becomes, a major character, obviously, in the Clone Wars animated series that followed this. Um, and, and I loved him in that, too. But there's certain things that George Lucas didn't want to spell out in this movie that he was going for with Grievous. And I don't know if people responded positively or negatively to it. But he wanted him to be this dangerous villain that was also a coward. 
Uh, and Obi-Wan has a line later on, or no, Mace Windu has a line later on after they land, where he goes, General Grievous will run and hide as he always has. He's a coward. And he wanted that to be part of this here, where during that fight on the bridge, the first thing General Grievous does is says, all right, I'm getting out of here. And he just runs away and leaves all of his other droids to to die. Uh, that was sort of meant to be what the character was. In the middle of a fight, he would just run, you know? And, and that's the way, like, the best weaselly villains are. Like, we get the dangerous villains in the original trilogy, and it's kind of fun to have a villain who is a little bit of a coward, uh, but he's fun, and he's over the top, and I love the voice for General Grievous. Like, Matthew Wood, uh, I mentioned, he was one of the sound editors on the the prequel movies. And he just sort of... from Galaxy Quest, right? Sounds exactly the same. (laughs) It does kind of sound... I I don't think he did the voice, but yeah, maybe that's where he got the performance from. Um, Maybe I'm uh... as ugly as I am stupid. (laughs) But yeah, like he, he's got such a great voice for this character. And I think he, part of it was just him being a sound editor. He knew how they would be able to take whatever his voice or his accent he was doing was and manipulate it later on. Um, and just the look of General Grievous, is, it's, it's spectacular. It's stunning. It's stunning. <laughs> it's, uh, and, and just the, the, the banter they have even with Grievous here is great. Uh, like where he's introduced where he's like, uh, the negotiator, Obi-Wan Kenobi, we meet again. And he goes, and Anakin Skywalker. Now I think George Lucas, not knowing, at least when he filmed this movie, he was doing the Clone Wars animated series, kind of boxed himself into a corner for six years when he said, I was expecting someone with your reputation to be a little older because they had to find every excuse in the book. Anytime there was a battle that Grievous was in an episode of to not have Anakin even face to face with him. And that resulted in pretty much any time there was a Grievous episode, it had to be Obi-Wan that fought him. So, yeah, they had had many battles prior to this. This is sort of like his arch nemesis. Um, and I love the, the the bodyguards, like you said, with their little lightsaber thing that the uh, Kylo Ren's bodyguards will have or Snoke's bodyguards have uh, the same thing in uh, The Last Jedi. Uh, and, and just the fun they have with R2 as well with like the uh, – what's the moment where he, we, he – um, gets kicked over like boom <laughs> when he, he he bounces into the wall and then that that one guy uh holds the gun to him and r2 just sort of shocks him he's like ow and then he kicks him over <laughs> um do you uh have you seen the deleted scene well you saw it, the deleted scene where he imitates r2 right yeah it's like he he's like oh i'm pretty sure he's up or something isn't it or something yeah. like that yeah <laughs> like it's funny but you understand why it doesn't belong in the movie but there's another deleted scene that uh I think fans would want to see more where there was another um, one of the other Jedi council members, Shock T, who uh, was a major character in the animated series uh, and, and all the comics and everything where she's when they're on the bridge. This wasn't just supposed to be a rescue mission of Palpatine. It was supposed to be a rescue mission of Palpatine and the other Jedi master who had been taken captive by Grievous. And it's a scene where they kind of have her at gunpoint and you know, she's like, I failed again, master. And they shoot her in front of him, which was just considered too dark. There was some other stuff where they were like running through tunnels underneath. Um, but just quickly going back to the, the animated uh, thing to explain Grievous's cough. It wasn't the original tension. George Lucas just wanted to show that, that a person who's turned into a machine would be sickly. Like this isn't a natural thing to do. So he said, I want you to be coughing constantly and choking. But then he's like, well, let's have an explanation for this. So in the, I think it was the final episode of the clone wars animated series that led into this. Uh, I can't remember which Jedi it was that actually does like a force choke on Grievous. So this entire choking thing he does throughout the movie is just supposed to be him recovering because he had been choked like two hours earlier and he's still coughing constantly, which is just a cool little thing. They had continuity with, uh, and then the spaceship crashing, 
like uh, they, they're still having fun with it. Uh, you know, Anakin's still making mistakes where it's, it's okay. We still have half a ship. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then when they finally, you know, crash, uh, it's it's a different type of shot that you you don't even expect to get out of Star Wars uh, when they're sort of zooming in as the ship is landing, and then they just sort of zoom straight into the window, mm, mm-hmm, and Obi Wan mm-hmm. with his line, he sort of brushes his non mullet hair back, and he goes, "Another happy landing, <laughs> stunning, stunning Anakin, stunning landing Anakin." You, you know what? You know what he's Obi Wan who says it because later on with a "Hello there," like that's yeah. such a lie that he would be saying. Stunning! Stunning, Anakin. Stunning. <laughs> but yeah, like the, uh, we're, we're probably missing so much great stuff here. It's just the, the opening act of this is the most fun stuff. I, I was kind of saying with Attack of the Clones, the opening act, like I think all around we get some of the best stuff in the opening of these movies. But, you know, there's, there's going to be so much great stuff later on. I think it's just it's such a different tone from what we've seen in the movies leading up to this. And it's going to be so different from what's to come later on. Yeah, I, I could watch just this opening sequence up to when they crash land over and over. Okay, I got to rewind and watch that again, rewind and watch it again, because it is so fun. And as much as I love this movie, it's n- I don't, it's the same way I love Empire Strikes Back. I love it because it's like it's a powerful movie. It's it's an incredible story. It's it's visually breathtaking. But there's really no more fun or comedy from this point on. And I think it's just refreshing to have that as the opening. Okay, well, after that stunning explanation, um, <laughs> we... <laughs> Uh, are on Coruscant. Now, there's a, is this the bit when we sort of have that shot um, of the docking bay and we see the ship going in there? You know, is this a bit where the, apparently the Millennium Falcon is seen if you watch yeah. closely? This is a bit I'm... Mm-hmm. That's correct, right? Yeah, that's right. Okay. It's like right at the, as they're pulling in, if you look near the bottom of the screen, you can see the Millennium Falcon, you know, pulling into one of the docking bays. Cool little... Cameo? Is it a cameo if it's a spaceship? Does that is that how it works? Sure. <laughs> I mean, it's a cameo if it's a droid. So <laughs> <laughs> there we go. Um, As we learned in Solo, the Millennium Falcon is no different than a droid. But, in fact, you may even say it is oh, a droid. God, Jesus, I forgot about that. Um, <laughs> but it's it's actually well, given that since this movie has come out, and we've talked about this. That obviously, there's a whole new section of timeline and everything because you know the next movie we're sort of going to quote meet the millennium falcon for the first time so i kind of like it here that you, it sort of it still exists like it's still out there in the world like it obviously had a life before uh you know han solo and lando i mean that could have been lando in that ship right like that you know what was he doing there well <laughs> before we even get into the proper stuff in the movie um I've never heard if this was confirmed properly or, you know, if this was just a rumor. It was If it was a rumor, it was a very strong rumor uh, that Han Solo, young Han Solo, was supposed to be in Episode 3 on Kashyyyk with the Wookiees. Did you ever hear about that? I did not. Please enlighten me. I, I think that it might have been something that was in the script at some point, but they never filmed because I don't think any actor was ever hired. But it was supposed to be like, you know, a 10-year-old kid <laughs> that, you know, looked like he was homeless but basically he was a kid that was being raised by the wookies and that you know he would have when um chewy was helping yoda escape there would have been han kind of leading them through these tunnels and everything so i don't know whether that was ever true or not but at, at one point obviously george lucas had an idea where hanzo would be obviously too young to be piloting the millennium falcon uh but who knows maybe lando's a couple years older than him maybe lando was like 14 and he took the falcon for a, a spin 
you know, without a proper driver's license, well, we can and, write and our own fiction here. We, we could. Anakin did fly in a boo starship a few movies ago, so, uh-huh. you know. But, oh, look, I can imagine the criticism that would have got. I mean, it gets enough criticism that, you know, oh, yeah. Chewbacca's in this movie. So, like, mm-hmm. ah, pointless cameos. What's the point? So, <laughs> yeah. Um, somehow I'm glad we then got our own movie on all of that idea. Because uh, when is, like, I'm sure we'll talk about this next week, but how far after Revenge of the Sith is Solo set? Uh, I think it's about 10 years. Okay. All right. So, all right. Yeah, about halfway through uh, between this and Rogue One. Well, they could have gotten the guy who plays uh, What's-His-Name in Solo. I mean, that was 14, 13 years ago. <laughs> like, he would have been about the right age. <laughs> like, you know, what was that boyhood movie where they literally filmed every, like, four or five years when they grew up? Yeah. So, hey, you know, they could have been really forward-thinking. Um, so, the Millennium Falcon, <laughs> talking point of this movie, but uh, we get a... <laughs> I like this moment between Anakin and Obi-Wan. So um, Anakin's kind of having to face uh, all the Jedi Council and all the politicians while Obi-Wan just buckers off. And what is he's like, oh, you're, you know, you're the hero here. Um, and <laughs> what does is, what is Obi-Wan like, say, like, oh, save your skin for the 10th time. And again, we get another nice moment, oh, ninth time. That, that stuff over there didn't yeah. count. Um, <laughs> yeah, like I just again, just such great little moments between these two. Um, you know, the bromance and everything, and ah, oh, so good. I love these two. They're they're fantastic. Um, they're stunning. Um, <laughs> so some of the green screen stuff here, though. I mean, I feel like I don't. You know, we kind of commented last movie that the special effects aren't really as bad as people say that. But there's there's a moment here, I think, when um, Anakin's talking to uh, Mace Windu that. Samuel L. Jackson just looks a little bit feathery around the edges. Um, I, just, I just don't know if, like, he had, you know, a, an off day that day or something like that. But um, and it's not the greatest right. acting in the world by Samuel L. Jackson when he, like, what does he say to Palpatine? Like, oh, you survived or something like that. Like, a bit, bit of a flat performance there by uh, SLJ. To be honest, I actually made a note that outside of a few moments, overall, Samuel L. Jackson gives one of the weaker performances in this movie. I mean, that's why... I think just going back to the criticism that Hayden Christensen gets for these movies, he's the lead of the movie, so he's going to have more to work with than everybody else. But there isn't one actor that is immune from you know having bad scenes in the, these these movies. I mean, even if you look at the original trilogy, everybody kind of has their bad moments. It's just when you have dialogue like this, it's, it's <laughs> even for somebody of Samuel Jackson's experience, you're not going to nail it all the time. You know, Meryl Streep would have pulled it off. Imagine Meryl Streep as Mace Windu. There we go. There's Please, a- no. <laughs> <laughs> oh, now come on. Meryl Streep. You know what? Be I great as Mace is, Windu. This is, w- this is way off topic. I don't necessarily have a problem with Meryl Streep. I just have a problem with the fact that she literally gets nominated for an Academy Award for anything she does. It has nothing to do with her performance. Like, well, Meryl Streep's in a movie. we got to give her a nomination. You know, Little Women's getting one Oscar nomination then next year, right? Um, Little Women I coming soon to the Oz Network, like, right? <laughs> I can't wait until, like, the, the, the Spike Lee-directed Meryl Streep picks her nose, the motion picture, <laughs> where Meryl Streep gets an Oscar nomination and Spike Lee, again, somehow gets snubbed. <laughs> Um, this, now this is, I think you, did you mention it, uh, last week that Jar Jar has like one dialogue in this movie and yeah. it's just recycled? Doesn't he say like, excuse me here or something like that? So. Yeah. When the, when they're walking past, you hear one guy say, watch it. And he goes, excuse me, <laughs> which is just 
his when he swallows the apple and burps from the Phantom Menace. Is, is that just because Ahmed Best just refused to talk, or like by this point George <laughs> Lucas was completely listening to everyone? Like, no more Jar Jar. <laughs> um, no, I mean there were scenes. We'll we'll get into a little bit uh, later on, but there were scenes where Jar Jar was in this. It's just the entire subplot. Uh, the, not Jar Jar's subplot, but the entire subplot about the birth of the rebellion got cut from this movie. I think probably more than anything, he just wanted to kind of put in there so it wasn't just, you know, Jar Jar is just a background character. Let's give him at least one line, even so, if it's not something they recorded. So Jar Jar was the reason of the birth of the rebellion. Is that what you're saying? They just cut it out. Exactly. Yes. Oh, so all these, you know, silly rumors about it being Darth Jar Jar, it's actually the opposite. Like, he's the one who gave everyone hope. Uh, like I also like what sort of um so Palpatine and Mace Windu have a conversation here uh that they're going to hunt for Grievous uh and we're also going to get Org- uh, Senator Organa and and Anakin Anakin here but I, I like that kind of the shot um where like C three PO and R two D two at the back you've got another protocol droid is I think it's Silver and you have got like a white protocol droid which I've sort of only ever mm. noticed this time around and then there's like these two robotic looking female droids i'm gonna call them fembots um like they're kind of interesting i'm I'm sure they've got a page on wikipedia or something in an action figure i mean everything in star wars does are they do you know anything about those those are 3po's concubines that's that's just a guess (laughs) (laughs) they're just um local sex workers on uh coruscant basically (laughs) (laughs) um but hey, hey golden boy <laughs> want an oil <laughs> oh this oil bath is gonna feel so good uh, <laughs> um so well, you- clean your chapur snip it's real nice <laughs> oh do you mind if i shut down for a minute sir uh- <laughs> i don't remember ever owning a droid yeah of course you don't everyone <laughs> Yeah. That's why Obi-Wan's like, no, 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 Anakin, you go, you go. (laughs) He's like, quick, before they see me again. As soon as the door closes on that transporter, there's like eight of them in there. It's like, hello there. (laughs) 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 Um, So Anakin starts starts talking to Organa and then, you know, in the shadows. I watched you in the shadows as a child. It's very golden eye. Um, (laughs) Padme's there. Padme's here. Um, the Jimmy Fallon skit. We'll get to that later on. Um, runs to her and it's like, oh, I hold me like you did on Naboo. Um, not quite yet. Um, but uh, Padme's, you know, supporting a full-on layer uh, hairstyle here. Um, and which is awesome. It is. Say. It is. Uh, and basically, you know, oh, I heard that you had been killed. You know, the whispers. It's like they weren't true. Uh, and then what we find out... Well, actually, no, Anakin gets a bit horny. He wants to do a ride here. <laughs> and she just goes, no, <laughs> not here. <laughs> I just want to see, like, you know, a, a bit more of an adult rating on Star Wars. When he's just like, okay, right here against on the pole. And then, like, you know, Palpatine. He yes. pulls back and oh, what is that? <laughs> you put on weight. Jesus. <laughs> Too much blue milk. What did I tell you about this, Padme? <laughs> low-fat milk. Low-fat. Um, but speaking of behind the robe, uh, the Padme Amidala story, um, <laughs> that's the MTV special airing this winter. Um, she reveals something wonderful has happened. 
Um, I'm pregnant. <laughs> um, oh, yay, I wonder what this could mean. Like, what? Like, really? Padme's pregnant? No, this is a plot twist I never saw coming. Uh, I just I just want angry, jealous Anakin. Who's a father? It's Obi-Wan, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Who have you been seeing while I've been away? Uh, <laughs> different. Um, so I, the, Anakin's reaction, though, is... Like, Mallory, when she saw this, was kind of like, oh, he's not happy. Like, something angry is going to happen here. Uh, I don't know if she's just judging Anakin for being an incredibly angry man. But um, I don't know. Like, it, am I watching too many of the everything wrong... Uh, not the everything wrong with the how it should have ended, where it's like, I'm going to be a father? Uh, and he starts, like, running around happily. Like, should he be happier here? I don't know. No. Like, I actually think it's perfectly played because... You see that he has, like, she nailed it, that there is this moment. His first reaction looks like like panic almost. And then he's like, well, 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 that's wonderful. It's really a combination of both. And you get both sides of that from both Padme and Anakin throughout this movie. Because obviously, you know, what's, what's not being said here is the fact that, that they are in the shadows. Nobody sees them. What's going to happen when he has a child? I mean, this would, it's almost the equivalent of like, you know, if some 15-year-old boy suddenly realizes, you know, he knocked up his girlfriend and he's got to tell his parents. Like, like there's both, there's both, you know, happiness and fear in Anakin at the same time here. I mean, 15-year-old Anakin probably would have knocked up Padme. I mean, God, he, nine-year-old Anakin nearly knocked up Padme with his Japor <laughs> snippet. So, um, <laughs> you know, uh, that, that's how it works in the Star Wars universe. Uh, meanwhile, uh, Grievous, uh, he, um, fly, what's the planet called? U- U- what's the planet? Utapau. Utapau. Thank you. I was going to call it something else there. Um, and Newt, Newt's there. Is it Newt or Rune? One of them's there. All the baddies are here, uh, basically. And, uh, he talks to, uh, Darth Sidious and, uh, gives them instructions to move to a volcanic planet called Mustafar. <laughs> These are the separatist <laughs> leaders. What's so funny about them? <laughs> Because we're like a couple scenes away from getting it is a volcanic planet just out of nowhere. <laughs> I just want every time somebody says Mustafar, like I want you to take this separatist leaders to Mustafar. <laughs> it is a volcanic planet. <laughs> volcanic, it's a stunning volcanic planet. <laughs> the Chancellor has a special mission from Padme. He wants me to go to Mustafar to wipe out the separatist leaders. It is a volcanic planet. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I guess the important bit here, though, is um, uh, the Emperor's uh, basically all like, oh, you know, the war will be over soon. Um, and Grimms is like, no, it will not be. He doesn't really say that because he's, you know, Dooku's <laughs> dead. But um, Sidious is all no. like, oh. <laughs> no, <laughs> it is not. <laughs> I studied war in college. You don't know the meaning of this. Um, but, uh, yeah, Sidious is all like, I will soon have a new apprentice who will be even more young and powerful. <laughs> um, on a volcanic planet called Mustafa. <laughs> Oh, God, you, you make things funnier than I do, clearly. <laughs> um, so, I love Mustafar. Mustafar's one of my favourite planets oh, yeah. when we get there. Uh, meanwhile, uh, Jamie's interested in the movie because uh, is this where we have shirtless Anakin for the first time? Uh, <laughs> dreaming, or am I jumping ahead here? Um, no, no, we get it here. It is. So, yeah, he's, he's dreaming. Um, he's... And he's very sweaty. Oh, no, before we hold on. Oh no! Before we get there, we have the the worst scene oh, of the right. entire. Oh yeah, right! No, how can I miss the 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 sand moment of Revenge of the Sith? Yeah, like this so. Is... Love has blinded you. Yeah, 
So I, th- uh, I, think, I think we need to replay this, uh, role play this, don't we? Um, so we, the scene is we're in Coruscant, we're on the balcony of a city apartment because, you know, this couple who have to hide their relationship are just living together on like the 84th floor, uh, you know, sharing an apartment, paying the lease together. Um, have you got the, the lines here? Shall we do this? Um, I don't. Let's see if we could do it by memory. All right. Am I Padme again? You're Padme. <laughs> okay. Annie, I want to have our baby back home in Naboo. We can go to the lake country where no one will know, where we can be safe. I can go early and fix up the baby's room. I know the perfect spot right by the gardens. Line. <laughs> you are so... Beautiful. You are so beautiful. <laughs> it's feels so be- wrong to say that to you, Ben. <laughs> oh, you love it. It's only because I'm so in love. <laughs> no, it's because I'm so in love with you. So love has blinded you? <laughs> well, th- 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 that's not what I meant. <laughs> but it's probably true. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I, think I just it. want to rewrite this too, where what? where it's like we could go to the lake country. I can fix something. It is not a volcanic planet. <laughs> <laughs> I just love the way that, like you know, um, I, I really wish I was on set here for George Lucas's direction. Like, okay, Natalie, <laughs> right now, just you know, you really into setting up the baby's room. Now, brush your hair like you mean it. Okay, just brush. Brush it. That's it. Now tell us about the baby's room. That's it. Okay, great. Now you want to go back to Naboo and set it up? That's perfect. There you go. Now remember, love has blinded you. Like, this is how couples speak, all right? Like, is this like how like, you and okay. Jamie met? Like, you're just brushing your hair at a, on a Winnipeg balcony? Like, Colin, I want to go back and set up the baby's room. We can do it by the... The area in Winnipeg where everybody goes. Uh, by the stadium where the Blue Bombers play. <laughs> I'm like, there's a blizzard going on, Jamie. It's too cold to be on the balcony. I'd rather be on a volcanic planet. <laughs> and then she replies, it's only because I'm so in love with you. <laughs> and I'm like, awkward. Come on, people can hear us. So love has blinded you? No, the blizzard has. Let's go inside. <laughs> in all fairness to George Lucas, though... Um, I don't remember the name of the person, but he did bring on another sort of assistant director specifically to help with these dramatic scenes. So the same way that we can't just say, oh, it's all George Lucas's fault. You know, I mean, ultimately, George Lucas chooses who to hire and he says whether that's good enough, good enough or not. But like with Attack of the Clones, he wasn't the only credited screenwriter on that. He didn't actually even direct all of these dramatic scenes. So I want to find out who it is who's also also partially to blame here because this is worse than anything in Attack of the Clones. This may be the single worst scene acting and dialogue-wise in the entire Star Wars saga outside Spike, of The Last Jedi. Spike Lee. Uh, Spike, yeah, this was Spike Lee. Spike Lee did this, everyone. <laughs> there you go. That, this is why he's blacklisted from winning an Oscar because he directed this scene. Yeah. They're like, no! <laughs> Anyone who talks about love blinding you and brushing hair is not winning an Oscar spike. All right, you can and you support the Knicks. We know what the Knicks are like. Like that, you just you know you're not winning an Oscar until the Knicks win a win an NBA championship. So you're never winning an Oscar. All right, um, simple. Sorry, um, 
Sorry, Spike, yes. So now we have um, Sweaty Anakin, although we kind of get this warped sort of dream effect. Now, I think we were talking about this at one one of the weeks here, weren't we, about kind of these... Because this is... It's not very Star Wars, and I think we talked a little bit about this back in Force Awakens, did we not, kind of when we had these flashes that kind of didn't really feel very Star Wars. But at the same time, like, here we have this in Revenge of the Sith, so... Um, just quickly, do you like this kind of visual? We've sort of got almost like a, almost like that sort of tunnel effect and it's all blurred on the outside and sort of a big zoom in on Natalie Portman crying. Um, you know, Anakin, Anakin, help me. Um, I mean, how does he know that she's in trouble? Like, they could just be having really rough sex here or something like that. You know, like, <laughs> like, like in all seriousness, like, it's just could, like, who knows? This could just be what they're into. Well, no, that is in a way true because... I mean, you could say, oh, this is just how the movie is visualizing his dream and maybe he saw more of it. But it's not until later on where he sees the second part of this. Like, he's just seeing the point of view of her. And then later on, this dream gets elaborated on. He sees Obi-Wan standing over her. Well, I so mean, that's why later on, it's like, you're with him, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> but, but, like, it is an interesting point that he... He's only really seeing this. He doesn't know what her pain is at this point. He just knows that the last time he had a dream like this, it was like, you know, his mother or whatever. Which I think... It was. Uh, although, let's let's hope that's why he's figuring she's in pain. Because he's like, the last time I felt this way is my mother. It's like, I don't want him having the sex dream with his mom. <laughs> well, <laughs> that's why he got so angry. No one can ever know what I'm yeah. dreaming of. <laughs> um, Tatooine, a very interesting place. Um, but, yeah, I mean, that's what I think kind of going back to Attack of the Clones and I think sort of that stuff around his mum that obviously we talked about kind of, you know, setting him off and that first real angry, I hate you moment. Like, it's 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 pretty cool, though, the way they set that up with the dream and everything and kind of leads into this. And I've seen a lot of criticism where they're basically like, so Darth Vader basically becomes Darth Vader because he has a bad dream and, uh, you know, <laughs> wants to protect a woman he loves because he's a whiny little bitch, basically. But I don't know, like, the, the last time he had a dream like this, hopefully an appropriate dream like this, you know, he... He kind of was right, so I think well, kind of, yeah. Plus, I mean, they, he specifically says it's not a dream, it's a premonition, and Yoda even, he goes for counseling to Yoda coming up, <laughs> and Yoda even identifies as, like, it's a premonition. You know, if we had had the, the jettison Sifo-Dyas subplot, where it got into Sifo-Dyas having these premonitions, we'd realize, like, this is something, it's not that it's common for Jedi, but... A lot of Jedi do have this power. So Anakin has to know this is not just a dream. Well, do you think, and I guess we can kind of allude to some of this. I'm, I'm sure we'll talk a little bit about this. We're going to do a um, Rise of Skywalker uh, preview episode. And obviously when the, um, I mean, by the time this is released, we've probably gotten a trailer. So we've probably already done the second trailer uh, episode or it's coming soon. Who knows? But um, I mean, there's lots of whispers around kind of things that are happening with the that and possible Anakin returns and Cypher Deus and all that sort of stuff. Do you think that's something they might explore? Because like, I'd, I'd like to see some of that. Because some of these whispers sound really exciting for the potential that we can get for this. Different episode, but random question for you right now. Yeah, well, also when you consider George Lucas's involvement in Episode Nine, that they did bring him in for the role that he originally was supposed to have with this series, which was just as a creative consultant. They say, this is the idea we have. How do we make this work in this universe? And if this is something that George Lucas obviously dedicated a lot of time to, I mean, also, you know, like what you're saying about the the dream, you know, we see something like this in The Force Awakens. We also saw it in The Empire Strikes Back. I mean, 
it was slightly different, but when Luke goes into the cave, mm. he's seeing s- some weird type of dream as well. And Yoda, obviously, he even asks, will they die? And Yoda can sort of just close his eyes and see some type of premonition as well. So this is something that's existed in the Star Wars movies going back to The Empire Strikes Back, technically. Uh, I think that could be, who knows, maybe that could be one of the things when they, they keep saying, you know, we, we didn't know how to tie all nine of these movies together, so we brought in George Lucas. That may be one of the things we're like, okay, let's use this to tie it together. The greatest moment in my life that will be in episode nine is there's two things that happen. They bring back Jar Jar Binks, and if <laughs> Anakin or Hayden Christensen return, there's a reference to sand. Like, that, that yes. would just sell the entire series. I will forgive <laughs> The Last Jedi for existing. I'm like, no, nah, it was worth it. It was worth it. That little kid with the broom came back, swept some sand, and, like, you yeah. <laughs> see this shoe, and then it slowly moves up, and there's the return of Anakin. He looks down at the kid, gives him a little nod, and goes, sand. And then just, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then just walks straight into, <laughs> like, come on. We all want it to happen. You know, we, we talked about uh, with our Double Oz 7 podcast, you know, redoing certain scenes with the, the man with the golden gun slide whistle. <laughs> Wouldn't it be great if we could just put sand into, like when that kid comes out with a broom and he is sweeping, if you just put like a little kid's voice over there going, ah, sand, <laughs> and just find ways to put sand in more Star Wars movies. Isn't it like um, in The Force Awakens when we first meet Rey, doesn't she like blow sand off her helmet or something like that when she's, yeah. you know, on Jakku or something like that? Sand? Oh. <laughs> And then when she has, like, her flash, when it's kind of like, you know, these are your first steps, you hear, like, sand. It's cold yeah. enough. It's irritating. <laughs> Gets everywhere. <laughs> Anakin! Uh, <laughs> anyway, so, Sweaty, Sweaty Hayden Christensen. Does Jamie appreciate Sweaty Hayden Christensen in this scene? Uh, strangely enough, no. Like, she, uh, she was basically saying, uh, well, she was commenting on Ewan McGregor. I mean, it sounds Who mean, but her exact word. Well, her exact words were, it's like, man, this guy would be like 10 times hotter if he didn't have that mole in his forehead. <laughs> but I will say, she she's a big fan of Ewan McGregor. That was just her criticism of one thing about him. And I was saying, like, what about Hayden Christensen? I mean, he's the young guy. He's the bulky. And she goes, he's too skinny. And I'm like, did you miss the earlier scene? Because, like, she must not have been paying attention during that scene. Like, I, I show her. Like he's he's massive in that scene too. Like like give him credit. He he got really bulked up for this. And she's like nah nah nah. And she couldn't explain what it was that she's not drawn to with Hayden Christensen. She's the like he's arm. not really my type. Yeah, that's the metal arm. Yeah. <laughs> or she's a big fan of sand. It's like I don't like the disrespect he has to sand. Big turn off. How can you hate sand? It's not coarse and rough in here. It doesn't get everywhere. Screw you, Hayden Christensen. You know, um, Keanu Reeves at Point Break Surfing, <laughs> he loves sand. Hayden Christensen, not a fan. Whoa, I love sand. Uh. <laughs> it's coarse and rough and irritating. It gets everywhere. <laughs> Trinity, help me get sand everywhere. Um, but um, <laughs> Mallory, Mallory appreciated Hayden Christensen a little bit more in this movie. So, um, you know, she's she's seeing the, what I'm the, seeing. Is it the 70s hair or was it him bulking up? I think it's the middle arm. <laughs> 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 Gotta say, it's a bit of a turn on. <laughs> so, I mean, why wouldn't it be? I actually, I do like that bit kind of like when he's sort of in bed and you just see the arm. Um, so, yeah. It's a cool little moment. 
Uh, so, uh, poor old Anakin is, uh, out in the balcony and Padme comes out. Padme's looking good, by the way, when she gets out of bed in a, uh, little nighty or whatever you want to call it. <laughs> in her, like, 16 pearl necklaces embroidered into her pajamas, because that's comfortable. Yes, well, that's how they sleep in Naboo. Um... <laughs> So he tells, like, you know, oh, it was nothing. It's like, remember, remember we're going to be honest with each other? Uh, so he's honest with her, says that um, I had a dream that you'd die in childbirth. Um, and I love Padme's first reaction. And the baby? Like, yeah. doesn't care about herself. I mean, I guess that's a motherly instinct. Good job, Padme. But, um, you know, basically, uh, Padme's not that worried. Again, the last time this happened, come on now. Uh, he's one for one in these predictions, yeah. Padme. You should be a little bit more worried. Uh, but, um, he's all like, oh no, I'm not gonna let this happen again. And, oh, will Obi-Wan be able to help us? Um, we don't need his help. I, the quick reaction here from Anakin to hate Obi-Wan. These two are having a nice little bromance at the beginning of this movie. And all of a sudden he's just like, oh, fuck Obi-Wan. <laughs> like, yeah. he doesn't, you know, he's got a good two-faced as Anakin. Uh, but as you mentioned, Anakin then gets some counselling, goes sees Dr. Yoda. Um, <clears throat> in the couch you must. Uh, bill you 800 credits an hour i will uh, <laughs> i just i want to see this as a spin-off like all these disney plus shows that they're going to do i want dr yoda um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> welcome to yoda doctor um yeah that would, i'd watch that um, <laughs> yoda's a horse <laughs> Oh, they can be started on horses. Great pen you have. <laughs> we know how attractive horses are in the Star Wars universe, all right? We're not going back there. That's a sexy horse. <laughs> um, so, Anakin. Anakin. We <laughs> can't say. <laughs> I know. It's so hard. Anakin. Volcanic planet. <laughs> <laughs> Planet Core <laughs> Stunning <laughs> Just all these one-liners are stuck in my head uh, <laughs> All of them are better than Hold me by the lake on that <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna work Hold me in the lake in Naboo Into my vows at my wedding You watch me I'm gonna <laughs> I'm going to make it sound romantic. I'm going to be just like, Mallory, I love you. I'm so happy here. I really want you to just hold me by the lake on the boo. <laughs> you watch me. It's Can happen. you please put stunning in there a couple <laughs> times too? Yes. And I'm going to say, the planet core. Uh, <laughs> could you tell Colin? Is that who you can tell? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, <coughs> oh, <coughs> grievous now, excuse me. Marriage, poodoo. <laughs> Puyo. Uh, <laughs> um, yes, <Anakin. laughs> I'm going to do that droid, that one that, like, adjusts his chest when he's like... <laughs> I do. <laughs> Everyone's going to look at me like, Ben... <laughs> The name's Bond. Um, so I've got you, eh? Uh, <laughs> it's going to be massive movie quotes. Um, so yes, uh, Anakin's... Anakin, <laughs> Jesus Christ, is telling Yoda um, <laughs> about his visions. Um, and, like, 
I don't understand. Everything seems to be the path to the dark side. So you're just like, the fear of lust is a path to the dark side. So what, Jedis aren't allowed to be afraid that someone close to them is going to die? Like, is that what it's be? Because you'll become evil? Ooh, feelings you have. Someone, like, when Obi-Wan is sad over Qui-Gon dying in, in The Phantom Menace, is he like, Master, wait, no, I mustn't be sad about your death. I'm going to turn evil. See ya, bye. Uh, like, is that what he's trying to imply? Well, that's the deleted scene from Attack of yeah, that's a deleted scene from Attack of the Clones. Don't go back to Tatooine. Sand is the path to the dark side. <laughs> Sense your feelings. You know it to be true. It's coarse and rough and irritating, and you must clean it from everywhere. Um, I do like the way this is shot, though, kind of like in this dark room with the light coming from the windows, kind of just like shadowing over their eyes. That looks really, really cool. Um, but Yoda's basically telling him, you know, uh, death is a natural part of life. You know, you mustn't miss them. You mustn't mourn them. Um, and that you'll be jealous if you get attached to someone. <laughs> so, and then Yoda's basically like, train yourself to let go. <laughs> Great counselling, Yoda. Like, you're really good at this. Just get over it, Anakin. Get over it. <laughs> Grow up. Kids these days <laughs> hang on to your feelings too long. When I was a young Jedi, we just got over things. Too many feelings you have. Stop tweeting about it. Um, <laughs> basically what he's saying. Uh, and then Anakin shows up late to a, a, a lecture by Obi-Wan. <laughs> like, sorry I'm late, Master. I have no excuse. And basically he was like, yeah, things are going well. Um, this planet's fallen and this person's moved their troops. <laughs> um, <laughs> I just want to see, I want to see this deleted scene, like, everyone complains about there being too much politics, but I want to see, like, everyone, hello there, welcome to the discussion. (laughs) Everybody's just chit-chatting, he runs his fingernails on the chalkboard, (laughs) attention everyone! Mr. Kenobi, hello there. Uh, (laughs) I love (laughs) Obi-Wan. Master of evil, Darth. I don't know why that white line always comes to my head, but it's just... Some young student comes up on the board. I want Luke. I want you to write on the board. Oh, I don't have any pens. Use the chalk, Luke. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> just came to my head. Um, <laughs> anyway, so um, we're about, uh, Obi-Wan tells Anakin that uh, the Senate is about to uh, vote more powers to the Chancellor. Um, which, you know, this isn't good. And Anakin's sort of defending Palpatine and Obi-Wan's telling him, you know, be careful uh, with your friendship of him. Um, And then like, oh, but he wants to see you. Which it's just like we kind of get a little bit of it sort of through in the, in the preceding movies. And we obviously get a little bit at the beginning of this movie. Kill him. Um, Is it a bit like we are, we understand. We know that this needs to be a thing. But does it kind of come out of nowhere that... These two are friends, or am I missing something here? Uh, well, no, I, it would have if they hadn't had that one scene they almost forgot in Attack of the Clones. Mm. Um, really, I think this is one of these things where if you watch the, the trilogy as a whole, you can see it building. Like, uh, again, uh, the scene they almost forgot in The Phantom Menace that they shot like a month before the movie's release, where Palpatine meets Anakin. You know, we'll watch your career with great interest. I think that's the most interesting thing about Palpatine is that 
you can actually look back on all three of these movies and see how his plan is laid out. And it's incredibly elaborate. It's, you know, not, not quite as ridiculous as like Lex Luthor's in Batman versus Superman, <laughs> but it's very elaborate, but it actually really makes sense. And Anakin is somebody that he's been playing from the beginning. It's, it's, it's a long game that he's been playing with Anakin. So I think it works well. It's, it is weird though, that, this movie has them interacting so much when they really only had one scene together in each of the previous movies. Uh, but, you know, well, we do have the odd person, whether it was, you know, there was anybody at the time or not, but the odd person, you know, in years since who will watch these movies, episode one, two, and three first, where this is the way you maintain the surprise. If you had had more with him in Phantom Menace Attack of the Clones, there would have been no surprise when he's revealed as the Emperor in this one. Well, I mean, jokes aside with Mallory not guessing who he was, I will say at the beginning of this movie, she was like, hey, so is he the bad guy? And like, yes, there we go. Yeah. Um, <laughs> like, I mean, she didn't know. So kind of, you know, watching it for mm-hmm. the first time. So, yeah, you're right. Um, so, yeah, basically, uh, we've got Anakin talking with Palpatine, um, talking about the fact that he's now got um, these extra powers, uh, which now gives him control of the Jedi Council and Palpatine, um, appoints Anakin to be his personal representative on the Jedi Council, uh, and then the Jedi Council accepts this, but then they don't grant Anakin the role of uh, Master. And Anakin, what? What? Gets quite angry. Um, and because they're like, "Oh, this is an interesting move by the Chancellor Yoda." Um, so poor old Anakin's uh, then assigned to, I guess, protect and spy on the Chancellor, while Yoda's gonna go to Kashyyyk. And see the Wookiees. Oh, I wonder who this could be. Um, we're going to see what was... Um, Marla! I was going to say Marla. Marla. There we go. <laughs> the grandpa who watches porn. <laughs> um, Obi-Wan's not happy about this whole situation. Has a bit of a conversation on this shit with Yoda. And, you know, oh, the chosen one he's meant to be, is he not? Um, so I might sort of cap it there. There's a there's a bit going on there. Uh, sort of, you know, a few minor scenes here and there. But... Um, yeah. Uh, one thing I wanted to mention, um, and I think this is another one of these things where let's give a bit of a defense to Hayden Christensen. Uh, something that would be hard is he's not actually, if you look at these movies, he's not able to really act in his real voice. He has to put on this slightly odd, you know, halfway in between Canadian accent and James Earl Jones accent. Cause like James Earl Jones has this very distinct way of speaking, despite being American uh, you know, it's 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 an a, like an elegant American accent, and they needed to work that into Anakin here. So there's a lot of lines of dialogue where I, I listen to it and I'm like, yeah, it actually really makes sense because this is the way Darth Vader has to talk later on. But it would be very even more difficult to deliver these lines trying to say, sound like James Earl Jones when you're just a 22 year old kid from Canada. You know, <laughs> if you're a 22 year old kid from anywhere, I mean. It's it, it, imagine any actor nowadays trying to talk like Catherine Hepburn. You know, it's just it's a different way of speaking. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I just wanted to note that because it is it, it's something that I remember at the time being like, you know, he talks kind of funny, and then I'm like, wait, but so does Vader. It's just you don't notice because he's got the robotic voice, and you just know James Earl Jones. Um, there's a few little cameos here uh in the scene after we see the millennium falcons cameo uh where um the you know palpatine is talking with mace window you see all the the loyalist committee as they were introduced in the last movie in the background 
And George Lucas's two daughters are the ones standing on each side of Palpatine. One of them has blue skin and one of them has red hair. But uh, <laughs> that was George. He had all of his kids. <laughs> not in real just life. Say, but... Just the way you say, one of them had blue skin, one of them had red hair. <laughs> like, yeah, red blue hair. Skin's fine. The blue skin's fine. red hair. <laughs> yeah, exactly. One has red hair. Ugh. But all of his kids had had cameos at different times. Like, his, uh, like you said, your favorite line that they got into the ventilation trap. <laughs> you know, that was his oldest daughter, the one with red hair. That was her cameo in Phantom Menace. And then uh, his middle daughter was the one talking to, you know, the out of character Ahmed best officer in attack of the clones. And his son obviously was the Jedi uh, who interrupts the old lady in the library <laughs> in attack of the clones. Here he decided he was going to put the whole family in the movie because even George Lucas himself has a cameo coming up, uh, which I'm very excited to get to because there's another big you know, turning point in his career. First acting performance by George Lucas. Um, but uh, one thing I noticed, like I-, I do have several lines here where Samuel Jackson does not sound great. And you know, I-, I sort of said earlier that even the best actors struggle with this dialogue, but I don't even know if that's the case because – I, I find very few Ewan McGregor lines where he struggles. And Jimmy Smith's as Bail Organa, like for such a small role, he has a way of sounding more convincing, delivering this very, you know, wooden political dialogue than anybody else. And obviously Ian McDermott can do it as well. But even just these few lines that Jimmy Smith has in these scenes, I actually really love his performance. Um the scene with Anakin and Padme, this is the thing I've always found the most far-fetched about the movie is that they could keep it secret because they really don't try. <laughs> if everybody had been walking forward and Anakin had been like, you know, just slowly walking a little bit slower than a little bit slower and then ducking out of a corner. He actually says to Jimmy Smith, to Bail Organa, he goes, excuse me a second. And then he steps three feet to the side and grabs Padme. Like nobody is going to see this and there's nobody else in this hangar. And even the scene coming up when they're on the balcony, like this is a well-lit balcony, you know, in in a fairly ritzy area. I mean, no member of the royal family can go anywhere without being spotted. No, no senator in the United States. Do you think if a senator in the United States is going off and having a secret affair, they're going to go off standing on a balcony, brushing their hair with their, you know, secret monk boyfriend or girlfriend, (laughs) uh, looking at them lovingly. Shots of Hillary Clinton back in the day. Didn't you see them? What? Yeah, she just—it's just a common thing. Yeah, yeah. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah. Those ones. <laughs> Hillary Clinton, um, Clinton, and Justin Trudeau. Who <laughs> you kidnapped, Justin Clinton? Uh, <laughs> find, that's our next project. Find a way to get a rush hour quote into every movie. Kel- Kelsey Carter. <laughs> yeah, Kelsey Grammer. <laughs> I want I, Rush Hour 4. They need to kidnap Kelsey Grammer. Like, that's yes. the whole plot line. <laughs> Who did you kidnap? Kelsey Grammer? Well, yes, we did. <laughs> we love Frasier. <laughs> uh, also, uh, the, the argument that Obi-Wan and Anakin has, that's probably one of the better moments with, you know, dialogue and humor in this movie because of the chemistry these two guys have with each other. Uh, and, and we mentioned it so much in Attack of the Clones, and I really think that Hayden Christensen deserves more credit just for how good his chemistry is with people, whether he sounds convincing delivering lines of dialogue or not. The way that they have this banter back and forth, you know, you could actually take this as, no, 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 Obi-Wan, but you you did really well out there. But in the end, you get that little punchline of, okay, but Nick, no, you owe me one, right? 
I love like you mentioned the line was like that business on Kid and One Whitey. It didn't count, you know. But um, my favorite part is actually when uh, they're getting so elaborate with it. It's like, hold on, this whole mission was your idea, and Obi Wan's like, let's not forget Anakin that you're the one who you know got the shields down, and you're the one who rescued the Chancellor, and you're the one who did this, carrying me unconscious on your back. <laughs> it's the <laughs> most elaborate story ever. It's like, all right, all right, and you just get like they just don't want to be around these politicians. These movies have this great subtle tension that's never really played as real tension, but, you know, between all these different factions, you know, Obi-Wan flying for droids and uh, you know, the, the politicians not trusting the Jedi, the Jedi not trusting the politicians, uh, you know, n- nobody trusting uh, Jar Jar Binks, you know, because he's obviously the real Dark Lord of the Sith. It, there's just all this mistrust, like with the Gungans and the Naboo and everything, it's one of those subtle things that I think actually just plays really well if you you start to analyze these movies. Uh, and of course, I, I made note of that the "excuse me" line that Jar Jar has. Um, <laughs> that Padme scene is so bad, though. Oh, it's just awful. Um, There's a word. Also, one to I come. also. Yeah, well, I don't know. The balcony scene is just really bad. Uh, also, the scene where he grabs her. I uh, the thing. One of the things that always bothered me in this movie is that Padme is like she she's always contradicting herself she basically lunges at anakin and then when anakin's you know trying to get it on with her, like you said no not here <laughs> but you started it padme and we're gonna have it coming up in another scene that i can't wait to talk about where she says one thing and then does the other uh i i hate uh, i i, I know you you're gonna hate me for this the the look that they give her in that balcony scene also is not flattering in any way. Like, her hair Aww. is so big. She looks tired for some reason. She's smiling way too much. It's just... And even, at, like, their chemistry in Attack of the Clones, I think they still have a little bit of it here, but it's just... It's not the same as it was in Attack of the Clones. Maybe it's because it's not as playful. Maybe it's because this scene is just that much worse than even some of the bad scenes in Attack of the Clones. I just... Oh, I don't like it at all. Um... The dream scene, I actually did make a note to ask you whether you feel the dream feels weird. Um, like, did, Do you have an opinion on that? You kind of asked a question, but how do you feel about this or these type of scenes in Star Wars? I think at the time, maybe it was kind of a little bit like, oh, okay. But I think I felt it more in Force Awakens. Like that to me was more yeah. when she was having the visions. But I think you make a very good point about the whole Empire Strikes Back scene. Um, so, yeah, it's kind of... Now it doesn't really bother me. Uh, might have been a bit at the time, but um, I think even the one in The Force Awakens now, I'm kind of okay with, um, you know, because, again, it's sort of... Mm-hmm. You've made a good point that this kind of happens a lot. Uh, I mean, The Last Jedi, when she's in that room of mirrors, maybe is a little bit... <laughs> goes yeah. down that cave thing. I don't know, but everything with The Last Jedi sucks, well, so... <laughs> I feel like each time they do this, it, it's not as effective as the previous because the Empire Strikes Back one, it's played perfectly. It doesn't feel out of place the way some of these other ones can. Uh, this one, I think, is helped by two things. One, that we... They sort of led into it with Attack of the Clones. Like, we saw Anakin, you know, the first time with very, very quiet background noise of, like, the the screaming and the Tusken Raiders, but it was mostly just Anakin's reaction to the dream. So mm-hmm. by the time we get to this one, we've already sort of seen it a little bit. Um, and also the fact that it's just the point of view of what he's seeing, whereas when we get to The Force Awakens, you know, it's kind of a cool sequence if it was in another movie, but it just feels like a fantasy sequence because there's so much happening, like rooms are flipping and, 
you know, one room is changing the other, and then the last Jedi one is just out there, and you know, and goes on way too long. So, uh, but I mean, I don't mind it so much. It does feel a little bit unusual, and I I wonder whether you could have. I mean, I say I wonder whether you could have done this without actually seeing the vision, but then you wouldn't get why the frustration with Obi Wan comes in later on, which also was a subplot of the movie. We can get into that was sort of cut here. Um, and I also think that the the Sifo-Dyas subplot, had they really found a way to keep that in the movie, would have helped these premonitions feel a little bit more epic, like, like you were saying, some of the complaints there are. We get the first uh, Return of the Chapur snippet here, which is not even quite clear to the audience, where he just sort of, hey, I remember when I gave you this. <laughs> like, is this the first time she's worn it in 20 years or 10 years or whatever? She finally um, realized it's not creepy that a nine-year-old gave her this, and now it's all of a sudden, like, I remember when yeah. you gave me this. Because it is kind of creepy. Like, like, if you think about yeah, it. Yeah, well. Like a nine-year-old kid gave it to him. They've ended up together. Like, fair enough. But, like, you know, if I got together with Mallory when she was nine. Okay, let's be honest. I did. When she was, like, four. <laughs> like, and she's gone, like, I painted you a picture of you and I and a horsey. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, when we're no, getting it, married, remember when you gave this to me? Exactly. Yeah. Like, I, I mean, it's. I think it's played okay in the movie. Like, I remember when uh, they brought that back up again, you know, my mommy would be like, oh, that's so sweet. Like, but then you actually have to think from the point of view of the characters, like, would Padme want to constantly be reminded that he was once a little boy? <laughs> uh, and this is not not a little boy when she was a little girl, but a little boy when she was like, you know, uh, halfway through her teens. Maybe. Um, <laughs> that's what she's into. <laughs> she likes some young. Uh, that's how you know she's not into Obi-Wan. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Obi-Wan's way too old for her. Uh, there's uh, another character here that gets mentioned that Star Wars fans will probably be more familiar with when Obi-Wan has his briefing, like you said. Uh, <laughs> I, I never realized how awkward it was. He missed Obi-Wan's briefing. <laughs> <laughs> I saved you a seat like, and everything, Anakin. I brought you a coffee. <laughs> and a bagel. <laughs> you know how long it took me to get that bagel? I want to see, like, um, the, the scene of Raiders of the Lost Ark when all the students file out. When everybody else files out Obi-Wan's briefing, they're all putting apples on his desk. <laughs> Thank you, Master Obi-Wan. <laughs> Stunning briefing. <laughs> Lovely mullet, by the way. You've really been shampooing it well. Um, but he, he mentions, like you said, uh, you know, everything's going well. And the name he mentions is Master Voss has moved his troops, like you were mentioning. Uh, this is a character named Quinlan Voss who uh, had a big evolution outside of the movies. There was a background character in The Phantom Menace. There was just a, a regular human character on uh, Tatooine that George Lucas liked the looks of. And he said, okay, you know, let's develop this as a combo character. And let's just say this was another Jedi that just happened to be on Tatooine at the time. So this comic book character, Quinlan Boss, became like hugely popular to the point where fans were almost demanding that he be included in the movie. And at one point he was supposed to be, he was supposed to be the other Jedi on Kashyyyk with Yoda. Uh, and in the end, George was like, you know, I'm just going to, I don't know if it was the same fear with like we mentioned Aura Singh, the bounty hunter who's, Got that one shot in the Phantom Menace that everybody said, no, you need to bring her back for Attack of the Clones. And she was supposed to be. But I feel like he he experienced, you know, Boba Fett and Darth Maul, two characters that were meant to be minor, that just the fandom took a life of its, of its own. 
where it's like, how can you ever live up to what the fans' expectations are now for these minor characters? That I feel like he shied away from including these characters that fans really, you know, developed a thing for outside of the movies that he just said, okay, I'm going to give him a line in the movie. But this character does get some episodes in the Clone Wars animated series as well. Um, the Anakin Obi-Wan scene, this is where it starts getting a lot darker in the movie where he's saying like, you know, the Chancellor's getting more emergency powers. Uh, you know, I don't trust him and everything. Um, when Anakin gets uh, given the seat from Palpatine, you know, that scene, it's... I, the one thing I would have liked more about it is it wasn't placed in Palpatine's office because we already see the Attack of the Clones scene in Palpatine's office that maybe move it to a balcony or something like that. Palpatine's brushing his hair or something. Only because I'm so in love. Yes, <laughs> yes. But, uh, you know, it's cool to see Palpatine's plot, like, especially for Star Wars fans. I remember seeing this for the first time, and you're just waiting through Phantom Menace and Attack of the Clones. Like, you want to see Palpatine get control. So when they start having these little scenes here where you're like, okay, I'm seeing them p- put the pieces together now. It was really exciting at the time. Um, and I, I, I almost envy Mallory that she can watch this and just experience that, you know, fresh and not know anything about it. But when Anakin actually gets before the council... And they're like, you know, uh, disturbing is this move by Chancellor Palpatine. Elect our own members, we do. Uh, and then Mace is like, you know, you're on the council. We don't give you the rank of master. Anakin's temper tantrum there. I wish that fans would focus more on this than just the whininess in Attack of the Clones, which, as I said, in Attack of the Clones, it has its place because that's the way Luke was in A New Hope. I love the evolution of Anakin's temper tantrums here, where it's not so much whiny, it's almost got a little bit of anger, though, to what, it's like, how can you be on the council and not be a master? And then when you talk to Obi-Wan later, he's like, it's insulting. There's like this arrogance that's not annoying. It's actually kind of dark that, Mm. uh, you know, uh, I think helps when Anakin transitions later on. But it's Mace Windu's reaction to him. Now, here's the one really great, Mace Windu moment in this movie. The look in his eyes where he just went, take a seat, young Skywalker. <laughs> <laughs> That's like, not acting. So That's just Samuel L. Jackson. Like, Jesus, that man's intense. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then Obi-Wan has an equally great reaction when Anakin sits down. He gives, He's looking at Anakin. He gives, like, this head shake, like, like, tsk, 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 really funny <laughs> i just love it anakin not again <laughs> i i wanted to be the opposite i want to be like this bromance like you know like you know in school when all of a sudden say like the, the teacher would move like your friend near you or something like that you're like hey what's yeah. up just like he sits next to everyone hello there and like fist bumps him or something <laughs> like that <laughs> my man you're the council bitch yo <laughs> uh yeah, the the mission to Kashyyyk, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with, uh, I think everybody is, the idea that Return of the Jedi or the original, when it was one script for one Star Wars movie, was supposed to have the Wookiee planet, you know, mm-hmm. could, would have been Kashyyyk. You know, and the fact that now we're on the final Star Wars movie and George Lucas is like, okay, I'm going to bring back that idea. I want this battle on Kashyyyk. And then Yoda's like, good relations with the Wookiees I have. <laughs> I want like, what are their relations? In what scenario does Yoda, you know, socialize with Wookiees? I want to see, like, him on, like, a, a hologram Skype call, like, Chewbacca, hello, how are you? How is Mala? The kid's going okay? How do you Tell end up in a cage a- in ten years' time? Another batch of those Wookiee cookies I must have. <laughs> Tell your uncle to stop watching the pornography. 
tell your uncle much better stuff on the dark web there is <laughs> he will grow hairy arms that's why that's why the bookies are so hairy they just like you know can't help themselves uh. <laughs> what was that song that he's watching yeah. like answer that stupid bloody who isn't oh, oh yeah um lounge singer yeah she's like oh like, oh aren't you a big boy or something like that. oh so wow i almost you know we did the one year anniversary of our episode no. of the room i almost feel like no. at some point to do an anniversary of <laughs> no. <laughs> no no please be no. arthur <laughs> i would rather do a one year the... anniversary of the emoji movie actually maybe not Stir, uh, whipster, whip whip whipster <laughs> Coked up uh, Carrie Fisher. <laughs> Caked up makeup Mark Hamill. Uh, Mark Hamill with all the makeup. If we can get oh, Mark so... Hamill to do that episode with us, I will do it. Yes. Come on. Get, hey, you're dedicating 500 days to getting Ryan Reynolds and Hugh Jackman at your wedding. We could do the same to get Mark Hamill to do the holiday special with us. Hey, hey you're coming to my wedding. You're going to be thanking me if you're standing next to me and there's freaking Wolverine and Deadpool right in front of me. All right? You're going to be going, Ben, you're awesome. Thanks for doing this. Don't you start uh, with But me. If, it were, if it were Mark Hamill, even better. Yeah. Yeah. True. Yeah. I mean, he officiated yeah. Sheldon's wedding, so... I'm like, yeah, why not? Sheldon, no. <laughs> um, the, the Anakin Obi-Wan scene, though, where he's like, it's insulting. You know, it's great because Obi-Wan's playing the really good dad role where he's like, calm down, Anakin. You know, it's never, you've never been, nobody's ever been on the council at your age before. And then they get to the, the, the bottom of it where he's like, you know, we want you to spy on him or whatever. And yeah, Anakin's like, you know, this, this is unethical. And he said, how can you ask me to do this? And I love that Obi-Wan, after he spent the entire scene, you know, basically being the company man, he's like, this is why we need to spy on Palpatine. This is why it's wrong that he appointed you. This is why you should be honored to be on the council. This is why there's something unusual going on here. And then he's like, why are you asking me to do this? And Obi-Wan just has like this, this sign. He's like, the council's asking you to do this. You realize like everything he's just set up until here is like, I would love to have seen the scene leading into that where Yoda and Mace are like, Want Anakin to spy on Palpatine? We do, and Obi Wan's like, "No, don't make me do this. Come on, he's my friend." <laughs> it, it's, it's actually really great the way Obi Wan just sort of goes at the end, like the Council's requesting you. Like, I didn't want to do this either. Um, and yeah, like the the Yoda scene too. Also, as he's leaving on the plane to Kashyyyk, uh, where they're talking about the prophecy. I remember even seeing this the first time, and you know. Everybody, when they saw the Phantom Menace attack of the clones and all that, and when they mentioned prophecies and bringing balance to the Force, you're like, you know, okay, well, technically he does bring balance to the Force. The audience knows he's going to be Darth Vader, but you're like, technically he will eventually bring balance. So when they mentioned that thing about, you know, a prophecy that Miss Red could have been, and they're all just like, hmm. I actually thought even at a time, like, wait, are we going to get more episodes? Like, hmm. is there more to this story? Which you know, obviously once it became clear Revenge of the Sith was it, you know, you look at that scene, you're like, oh, well, it's just from the Jedi's point of view. But now that we have seven, eight, nine, when I rewatch that scene, I'm like, that moment plays in well to what could happen in episode seven, eight, nine. Uh, you know, the, the, I wonder that's another thing. It's like, are they going to go back to that whole, well, the prophecy, you know, was probably misread at some point. Um, I think that's basically where we dropped it at, right? Yeah, we're we're up to maybe I think the worst scene in the movie. Um, 
get close, yeah. Well, like, the thing that's jarring, like, okay, we do have a bit of a scene before this where we see Yoda land on the Wookiee on, on Kashyyyk, so we sort of see that. But the thing that's really awkward about this scene with uh, Anakin and Padme is it reminds me a little bit of, you know, the fruit fucking scene in Attack of the Clones, yes. how it, it transitions <laughs> to them weirdly sitting on the couch and just yeah. staring at each other. So, like, we've got this kind of long shot of Anakin, like, gleefully rubbing Padme's belly, um, and then all of a sudden, when we get the close up, Anakin, they sit there in like silence for about like three seconds. Um, it always, to me, always felt like there was a first part to that scene that was just abruptly cut. They're like, oh, we don't have enough time for the first part of the scene. Let's cut it in the middle. Yeah. And because then it's like silent. And then all of a sudden, it's sometimes I wonder what's happening to the Jedi Order. Like, it's like, yes. what? <laughs> <laughs> You're like, gleefully, yeah, look at this baby I'm rubbing. Sometimes I wonder what's happening to the Jedi Order. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure, like, I'm sure when, you know, Jamie's pregnant, you're like, oh, woo-hoo, I can't wait to have twins. Do you really think Justin Trudeau is going to get re-elected later this year? <laughs> like, <laughs> which, of course, by the time this is released, we'll know that answer, right? Aren't your elections in September? Um, Nobody's looking forward to it. I don't even want yeah. to think about it. Colin, I can't believe you're prime minister now. It's great. Like, what a <laughs> turn up for the books. Like, good for you. <laughs> Finally getting your Jews. Well done. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, it's just kind of really odd. Um, and so Anakin starts talking about, you know, the Jedi and that this war is destroying the Republic. And then I always, like, the way Padme says this, I'm always thinking, like, maybe Padme's Darth Vader because then all of a sudden she's <laughs> like, Emma thought that we were on the wrong side. <laughs> like, I think that would have been a cool little thing. Like, Padme's the reason why he turns into Darth Vader. Like, Search your feelings, Annie. <laughs> you know, you know this is not the right side. I'm Darth Padme. Apparently, she sounds like Jar Jar now or something. Uh, <laughs> Jar Jar. <laughs> I've been sleeping with someone. Who? Hello, Annie. <laughs> Miss, I've been doing your wife. Um, My baby it is. Oh, Yoda da- now. <laughs> now we have everybody involved in the scene. Is it Obi-Wan's baby? Is it Jar Jar's baby? No, my baby it is. <laughs> could you tell Jar Jar? Is that who you could tell? <laughs> um, <laughs> hello there. Uh, <laughs> oh, it's not funny. Um, but yeah, like, it's just randomly pat Like, you think you're on the wrong side. Um, it's like, yeah. you know, you, what is she say? Like, oh, do you ever think the democracy that we know doesn't exist and that we're being the fighting democracy. for? Yeah. Oh, God. No longer. George Lucas understands it's love and politics. And then what? what is he like? <laughs> it's Anakin. You're sounding like a separatist. Pulls out his lightsaber. Yeah. <laughs> 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 that treason. That's almost- no, that the way he's like, and you sound like a separatist. It's almost like you know the, the communist scare of the fifties. Like, are you now? Have you ever been a member of the separatist party, Padme? <laughs> but then this is where it like starts to turn even weirder because it's kind of like she's all like, "You're close to the chancellor. Stop the fighting. Like, you know, yeah. stop the war." Um, and then basically, all of a sudden, it goes there to hold me like you did the lake under. Oh, that's the other one I was talking about, where she's like bipolar she because she's actually telling anakin right before the don't do this don't shut me out talk to me hold me like you did in the lake on naboo 
You know, it's all about her all of a sudden. Like, that is such a pregnant woman thing. <laughs> no, no, it's just a woman thing. Let's not beat around the bush here, Colin. That's what women do. Like, I'm, I'm sorry I'm saying sexist, but that's what they well, do. You get into a fight, and all of a sudden you realize you're winning, and then all of a sudden the girl's like, oh, that's about me. Oh, I'm sad. So then you have to cover them. I've, so we have to hold her like on the lake and the boo. I, I'm just going to say this because this is coming from somebody who's, you know, fresh off of having twins. Um, when we had Casper, one baby, Jamie had a couple of moments. Like, the people talk about, you know, the stereotypes of, like, you know, the, the pregnancy hormones and stuff like that. Really only two or three times in nine months, you know, did you get anything like that. With the twins, it was, like, a whole nother level of weird and uh, abusive on her part. Like, <laughs> she said and treated me in ways where it's like, no human being deserves to be treated like this. And she admitted it herself. Like she's, I think probably about a month after she were born, uh, the, the twins were born. She's like, I don't know what it was with being twins, but I'm looking back now. I'm like, man, was I crazy? Like, how did you deal with me? And I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> Can't wait to have triplets. Um. <laughs> <laughs> what was that? Octo mom. Remember that Octo mom a few years back? Like, Jesus, how old has she been oh. when she was pregnant? Jeez. <laughs> Um, but the thing that's also like really odd about this whole scene, among many things, is that it's like, I wonder what's happening about the Jedi Council. Oh, you sound like a separatist. All of a sudden, hold me by the lake on the boo when there was no love and whatever. And then all of a sudden, just cuts to Anakin running up the stairs because he's late to the opera. Like, it's kind of like, it's just, what is the point of this scene? And like, the one thing though, when she says like, you know, hold me when there was no war and politics and no plotting. Wasn't there a war and politics and plotting going on when they were on Naboo by the lake? Isn't that the reason why they were there? To get away from her being assassinated? Like, you know, what's wrong with you, Padme? Went, <laughs> they went directly from the opening battle of the war to the lake on Naboo to get married. Their marriage began in war and politics. <laughs> I love Padme. I love Natalie Portman. But she's hopeless in this movie. Um, yeah. <laughs> but she's funny, no, pregnant and whingy. Now that I have had twins, I'm telling you, I look at this, I'm like, yeah, yeah, I remember that. (laughs) (laughs) Makes sense now. Natalie Portman, again, underrated actor. She was playing this perfectly. (laughs) She probably sat down, like, did, you know, um, research, like, I want to speak to pregnant people. I want to speak to pregnant people with twins. Like, you know, are you whingy? What's that? And, like, she starts talking to somebody, like, oh, so tell me about, like, what is the baby? And this person's like, yeah, I'm pregnant and everything. And do you ever wonder if we're on the wrong side? And hold me by the lake on Lake Geneva. (laughs) I was like, wow, that's really good. I'm going to use that. <laughs> but, I mean, this is the worst scene in this movie. Come on, this is worse than I, That's only because I'm so in love. The only reason I prefer this is because the previous scene serves no purpose other than to show that they are still a happy couple, um, which I think there's easier ways to do that. This scene at least serves the purpose of is the only thing left in the movie to introduce the idea of where the rebellion came from because there was the deleted scene or a series of deleted scenes that led into this that was showing the birther rebellion where we had padme and you know several characters including mon mothma who's going to pop up in rogue one and then return of the jedi uh basically coming up with the idea of you know what we can't let anybody know we're meeting like this but i think there's something wrong and you realize there was a reason that padme was reacting this way even with that scene cut out which it absolutely should have been cut out it did not play well at all um this scene at least introduces the idea of opposition to the chancellor okay well speaking of opposition to the chancellor we've got the chancellor 
And again, Anakin's running late for the opera, so we see him. <laughs> <laughs> I want to see Bruce Campbell from like Spider Man Two. It's like ah 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 ah. Nobody admitted after the curtain <laughs> rises. I want I want to see like the lead up scene. This is him in the speed, like racing between the things, like getting dressed in the. You know that Mr. Bean episode when he's running late and he gets dressed in the car. <laughs> I want to see Anakin like shit 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 brushing his teeth, rubbing his deodorant on under his robes. But then I love how he shows up. Like, everyone's all dressed up because they're at the opera, and he's just in his bloody Jedi robes. Like, are these dressing yeah. up for the opera? <laughs> um, it's just, but like, this is maybe one of the best scenes in the whole movie, to be oh, honest. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And um, like, I've just actually looked up here, thanks, uh, Wikipedia, uh, that this is actually called Squid Lake, is uh, <laughs> this opera. The Mon Calamari Ballet. It's Squid Lake. Did you know that? No? <laughs> yes. I, you didn't hear me? Yes. Oh, no, I didn't. <laughs> this is awkward silence. <laughs> Colin's like five seconds ago, like, yes, yes, oh, God, every Star Wars fan knows this, but never you got the DVD of Squid Lake. Uh, <laughs> but I love this, like, setting of them kind of in this opera of just these giant oh. ball orb things. Like, what is it about movies that do really good scenes at the opera? We saw, I mean, the one good scene in Quantum of Solace is at the opera. Um, one of the Mission Impossible movies, uh, yeah, they've got that great opera scene. So, I mean, it's just, um, yeah, it's just something epic about opera. I, I want to go to the opera just to see if there's like, you know, a Jedi learning about being evil or like a, a, super, a secret agent, like, you know, speaking on little headpieces in their ears and stuff like that. But this is obviously a very important scene. So, um, Anakin, Anakin, uh, sees, uh, Palpatine and then they have this, uh, bit of conversation going on, uh, that Grievous has been located and that him being captured will basically end the war. Uh, and then he essentially finds out that Anakin's spying on him. <laughs> great, great job by Anakin. Like he really hides it well. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> are you spying on me? No. Who told you that? <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. What is that under your robe, Anakin? Shut up! <laughs> it's not a wire. He's on to us. <laughs> Sending reinforcements. Um, <laughs> but this is basically the seduction scene. <laughs> this is We talk about great seduction scenes in movies. There's yeah. like the pottery wheel and ghost. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and Squid Lake. <laughs> the... the, the the bow of the ship in Titanic of Jack, I'm flying. Is that the bow or the stern? I don't know. The front of the boat scene in Titanic. The dirty dancing scene that happened where everyone, I don't know, I can't remember that movie. And then Squid Lake, Palpatine <laughs> seduces Anakin. Um, and this is where he tells him about uh, Darth Plagueis the Wise. Now, had, the, had Darth Plagueis ever been mentioned in, like, anything before this movie? Was this, like, a, a no. comic or a story thing that we knew about? No? No, this was the introduction. Which the introduction. was, like, I like I remember watching this and just being floored because you don't expect to hear anything about Palpatine's backstory at this point, you know? Mm. So when they got into it, uh, that was one of the few surprises. Even even if you avoid spoilers, you kind of know everything that's going to happen in this story. And when that came up, like, oh, I can't believe they're actually getting into his backstory. Well, and some of the things, actually, before I get to Darth Plague, I should mention some other little important things here that kind of 
Um, Palpatine sort of mentioning that, you know, he thinks that they're going to, the Jedi Order are going to overthrow the Republic. Uh, Anakin, yeah, not very good in his secrets. You know, oh, yeah, the Jedi don't trust you. Oh, I didn't say that. Uh, <laughs> and this, he also says what, that he knows the ways of the Force or something like that, or he's kind of, he's learnt a little bit. And I, I love that sort of when they're discussing about, um, you know, Anakin's like, oh, the Jedi are good. You know, we, we keep order in the galaxy. And I love that line when he's like, good is only, you know, from a certain point of view. Like, I love the way he says that. Like, great. Ian McDermott is amazing in this scene. Just like, so, so, okay. so incredible. Oscar nominee. Come on. This should have been an Oscar nominee for this. Um, it, that's not even a joke. Like, I, I would, I would have made a push for that. Okay, well, we, you sold me on, um, Thingo in Galaxy Quest. So, mm-hmm. um, but, yeah, it's kind of, you know, Anakin sort of saying about how, you know, the the Sith are uh, basically selfish and that the Jedi think of others. But this is where, uh, yeah, we learn about Darth Plagueis the Wise. So, basically, a, a Sith Lord that was so powerful that he could use the Force to influence the midi-chlorines uh, that we love and haven't heard them in a while, um, that he could save people from death. Uh, and of course, straight away, Anakin, like, ooh, what? Save people from death? I know someone who does that. Not me, though. I'm not telling the yeah. truth. <laughs> um, and, you know, explaining that the dark side of the Force can do things that he's not aware of, uh, and that uh, he had a... Um, Darth Plagueis became so powerful that all he did was fear losing his power, and that his apprentice killed him in his sleep. Um, so... I mean, it's an odd thing that somebody that powerful can be killed in their sleep, but then again, Snoke just got chopped in half. Uh, <laughs> with no explanation about anything. So, uh, and what does he say? Like, um, the the irony of how, like, you know, he could keep others Save from Save others dying. from death, but not himself. Yeah, and then we get the great moment uh, where Attican's like, is it possible to learn this power to stop death? And then that lovely little head turn that oh. Palpatine gives and sort of stares at him. Not from a Jedi. Ooh. Uh, so good. So, so good. I feel like I almost just cap it here just to talk about this scene in general. Like, I mean, I know we've still got lots to talk about, but I mean, this, this, if we, we do sort of Hall of Fame scenes in 007, download down yeah. by, uh, the Oz Network. No, not the Oz Network. iTunes. That's the place. Um, I mean, this would be up there as maybe a Hall of Fame scene for sure. Cause this oh, is just, yeah, this is just sure. epic. And this goes on for a mm-hmm. bit. Good. Is it like five, ten minutes long? It's a fairly long scene too, right? Yeah, I think it's it's at least four minutes. Which in these movies, I mean, even in the original trilogy, George Lucas always built the Star Wars movies around really brief scenes, like one to two minutes tops. And this, it has to be like the longest single dialogue scene in this trilogy for sure. Um, just before I get on that scene, uh, the the hold me by the lake on Naboo. Um, I, I want to talk a little bit about the the rebel plot. Um, I don't know if you followed any of the news leading into it at all, but there was this um, this actress that was among the rebellion characters, which is just a group of senators who were in this movie supposed to be Padme's subplot of you know how she got into the rebellion, and it came out that this actress had done some type of you know. Uh, nude photo shoot or something like that and i mean 2005 that was still somewhat of a big deal um and then the scenes got cut from the movie and this actress basically went on there ranting about you know oh this is disgusting george was cutting me just because of the, i did this in the past or whatever and 
in the end, George Lucas included those deleted scenes on the DVD, and you can see why it was cut, because nothing worked about it. Even though the idea of the birth of the rebellion is interesting, obviously with the Sifo-Dia stuff, the Qui-Gon stuff, the rebellion stuff, there's too much going on in this movie that some things have to get cut. This, to me, was the easiest sequence to cut in the entire movie because nothing about the scene played well at all uh it was written bad it felt rushed it felt like you're you're trying to do an entire build on what's going to happen later in the movies in like two scenes and i actually feel like it works better just having that one that, that's why i slightly defended you know the the scene here with padme with a you ever wonder if we're on the wrong side even though i completely agree with you the way it drops into that scene is very awkward and the, the, it transitions back and forth too quickly. But th- those scenes with the Birth of Rebellion are terrible, which is sad because, uh, you know, we were going to get at least one character. It's not like it's a famous character or anything, but like Mon Mothma, you know, from Return of the Jedi is one of the few female characters in the original trilogy to even get a speaking part. And she was supposed to come back here. Funny thing is these sequences, they, they were edited, but they had made, they were so convinced that at least mon mothman would be a part of this movie that they made an action figure and um i don't know if this was the thing everywhere i assume it would be but for probably two or three years after the revenge of the sith came out you know i would always go to the toy section and say like are there any action figures that maybe i could pick up like oh i haven't found this character before no matter where you went there was always a mon mothman action figure i mean it must be the worst selling star wars toy of all time which Granted, it's a character that's not even in the movie, but even if it was, do you know anybody out there who's like, I want the Mon Mothma action figure? I'd rather uh, a Mon Mothma it, action figure than a Rose action figure. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if I'd go that far, but uh, um, it, but it's it's cool when we get to Rogue One that they're at least like, you know, let, let's, let's at least find a way to bring this character back. Um, but th- that sequence would have helped explain Padme a little bit, but I actually kind of like that the rebellion stuff it just shows instead of it being a birth of the rebellion it's displeasure with palpatine which we get later on with another very painful line with the thunderous applause line but at least Aww. showing that there are people who are not on his side oh i hate that line i don't mind um, that line there's something <sighs> wrong with you <laughs> you're only discovering that now yeah uh the opera scene also this is where George Lucas' cameo is. It were you aware of George Lucas' cameo in that scene when Anakin's I, running up the steps? I think I yeah, I think I knew about it. Yeah, he's he's actually talking to his daughter, the one who's painted in blue. George Lucas himself is painted in blue. He's got like this big hat on. It's just sort of two people chit chatting outside of the opera. And uh, you know, if you know that that's where George Lucas' cameo is, you're going to look at it and say, "Hey, it's a blue George Lucas." <laughs> uh, but George Lucas fought this for the longest time. In fact, he even kept kept it secret. Uh, people would say in all the movies, "You should have cameos in these." The way Alfred Hitchcock has cameos, and he's nah, nah. And then eventually, he's like, "You know what? This is the last time I'm ever going to do this. I want to put myself in there just to you know tell people, hey, I had a cameo in one of the Star Wars movies.'" Um, but this opera scene, like you said, the setting's great. It's the noise too, because it's an opera, but there's no singing. It, it's more like a Cirque du Soleil than anything else. But it's there's just the the music that there is here is just like this low, ominous humming. It's like mm. like it almost sounds like um what's that the the um didgeridoo the, Australian outback the didgeridoo yeah it sounds like one note on a didgeridoo played for four minutes straight. Um, That's our national anthem, and, and then. Of course it is. 
it's either that or Thunderstruck by ACDC, and they chose the didgeridoo one note. But both better um, national anthems than our actual national anthem, by the way. <laughs> what is that? Can you sing a little bit of the Australian national anthem? I don't even know if I'm aware of it. I'm sure I've heard it in the Olympics. Oh, let us rejoice. Yeah, that's all you need to know. It's a shit national anthem. That totally sounds like you just made it up on the spot. <laughs> I wish I did. <laughs> Believe me, I wish I did. We have a terrible national anthem. What's the national anthem of Mustafar? It's a volcanic planet. <laughs> That's what it sounded like you were doing there. Tatooine's national anthem is, All say, can you see sand everywhere and it's irritating. It's coarse and rough. <laughs> Naboo, a great place to hold someone by the lake. <laughs> Kashyyyk. <laughs> Sing it, big boy. <laughs> Jakku. Oh, Jakku. The home of Ray. Casino Planet. Casino Planet. <laughs> Coruscant. Coruscant. <laughs> I think you just did the Australian national anthem, just replacing Australia with God save our gracious Coruscant. It's really, (laughs) the whole planet's like a big city. And oh, look, they're waiting for us to meet us on the thing. (laughs) Utapau. Oh, Utapau, we stand on guard for thee. (laughs) The moon of Endor. Bears are everywhere. No shit, they're actually not. They're Ewoks and they are gonna sell toys. <laughs> yup, nub. <laughs> I don't know. That's the Ewok. Yup, nub. <laughs> yup, nub. Jedi rocks. Please stand for the national anthem. <laughs> That's why they include it. Jabba's a very passionate man about his uh, home planet. I want to see Bip Fortuna with his hand on his heart. (laughs) The Rancor standing at attention. No, the, the national anthem for Tatooine is We are really happy to be on Tatooine It is really great to see us in the canteen <laughs> They love the national anthem so much that it's played in bars in like Mos Eisley <laughs> I don't like you, but I do like our national anthem And now we know that Mon Calamari is anyways um yeah the whole setting of this is so many things about this scene like you you'd say a hall of fame scene i I would put this if you were to do you know top 10 scenes in the entire star wars saga this is in the top 10 because everything about this scene works perfectly the visuals of this this squid lake Mm -hmm. um the, the darkness uh, with, like, kind of the flashes of light from the opera on Palpatine and Anakin. Hayden Christensen's performance is good. Palpatine's is amazing. And what makes Palpatine's performance even better, uh, the behind-the-scenes story here is that Palpatine had laryngitis. Or at least he was coming down with laryngitis when they filmed this scene. But, of course, in a big blockbuster like this, 
you know, we didn't even really even get into uh, with Attack of the Clones, it being the first movie to really film digitally. And those digital cameras were big and noisy and, you know, not easy to move. Th this is still very early in digital film. You got a lot of background noise. So the majority of dialogue in these movies is recorded through ADR. And that would have been the plan for this scene like any other. Uh, so, that, of course, they're going to film it even if his voice is shot. What we hear in Palpatine's voice was George Lucas loved the sound of his voice with his voice cracking and, and kind of having this hoarseness to it that he said, let's not replace the dialogue. Let's keep the original, you know, on set recording here, which is why we get Palpatine. With, Did you ever hear the tragedy of Darth Plagueis the Wise? <laughs> it so just sounds but like yeah there's moments where his voice cracked there's moments where it's got like this this you know growl to it and just his performance the entire scene palpatine or ian mcdermott as emperor sidious palpatine whatever has so much fun in these movies like i don't even think it's a joke we're only at the point this movie came out we're only two years removed from johnny depp getting an oscar nomination for pirates of the caribbean i don't think it would be unheard of to put a performance like this up there it is very over the top at moments but this scene is so subtle that the fact is he barely blinks in it. He barely moves. Most of the time he's talking to Anakin, he's still watching the opera, which also just just gives him this extra level of like evil to him. You know, he's not even making eye contact. It's just all in his voice. And I remember seeing the, the whole the story with Darth Plagueis the first time. And at first I was thinking oh, he's telling some story of some actual Sith Lord. But the best moment is that he's he's literally just telling a story, and then when they zoom in on his face and he goes, ironic, he could save others from death, but not himself. It's not so obvious that it's like a but it was just this moment where his performance changed so subtly that you realize, wait, he's talking about himself because he has like this, this pride in the way he says that. I just love the way he played that. Uh, and for a long time, I sort of wondered especially because we never see him use this power. Did he make this up? It, was this his real backstory? Obviously, they've gotten into, in the novels now, confirming this was the real backstory. Uh, and even the power, Darth Plagueis really did have this power, you know, to uh, create life or save others from death. It, they never really make it clear, does he create life, which led a lot of people, when he said that in the movie, to say Palpatine somehow created Anakin. Which doesn't make sense because Palpatine himself admits, I've never learned this power. And if he did, obviously he would have he used it on himself in, when he, you know, well, maybe there, th that's, that's what it is. That's how Palpatine comes back in episode nine. He actually <laughs> did have the power to save himself from death. Um, I've actually read theories about that. So Yeah, which, I mean, th the argument against that is that he clearly says Plagueis knew this power, but he couldn't save himself. Um, but it's just, it, it added this small dimension of Palpatine's character. And it's one of these things where until you get it, you don't realize how much that would work. I remember going into Attack of the Clones and everybody going into Attack of the Clones and they would say, we want to see Yoda in battle, but we don't see Yoda as the type of character that uses a lightsaber. And then you see Yoda with a lightsaber, you're like, okay, I get it. And it's the same thing with Palpatine. You want his background to be mysterious. You don't want to know where he came from, but you give, give you just a little bit of it and it's like, wow, I actually really love that. Uh, that final moment too, where he says, you know, uh, is it possible to learn this power? He goes, not from a Jedi. Mm. That was like the most replayed line in all the promotion for this movie. It was in the trailers. It was in everything. Uh, and it's 
one of those moments where you know it's meant to get Star Wars fans excited because that was the first time where Palpatine is ever acknowledged on screen as Sidious. And was this the moment, or was it earlier when he was telling Anakin to kill Dooku, where Mallory kind of clued in? Uh, it was earlier. Um, okay, I think sort of around yeah Dooku moment. Yes, I mean yeah, there's the moment there is a like, kill him, you know, uh, kill him now. Uh, but yeah, th- this this part here where he says not from a Jedi, like. It still gives me chills every time I watch it, and that's why I, I when we do final rankings, you know, this movie is going to be higher than at least something on the original trilogy for me, because I think there are some moments in this movie that are so strong that they blow away anything we get in even something like Empire, and this is one of them. Yeah, well, I mean, I'm the same as you. It's going to be higher than one of the original trilogies for me, and I, I would love to put it higher, but I can't replace my top two, so um, it's kind of yeah. So. Um... I, I agree with everything you said. It, it's it's really good. And I, I like the fact that um, it would have been great if, you know, maybe we'd never seen the Emperor before or that. And that, like, basically, laryngitis led us to having his, no, no. Yeah. Like, that was, <laughs> hey, wait, that sounds really good. Like, keep, keep it. Yeah. Like, <laughs> definitely got an idea there for, for moving that forward. And pardon the interruption as we close out part one of our Star Wars Episode 3 Revenge of the Sith recap by ending part one. You know that means that there's a part two available and it's available at exactly the same time as part one. So stop listening to this, go and download part two. You can hear the rest of all the fun that happens throughout this recap. Like us on Facebook, do that usual stuff. I'll probably say that again at the end of part two. So thanks for listening to part one and we hope you enjoy downloading the other part goodbye thank you for listening to the oz network don't forget to subscribe to get new episodes delivered to your speakers every week for more information hit us up at the oz network.net <laughs>